You are listening to I Can't Wait to Tell You with Casey Edward featuring Keith Wilson, episode 100. Welcome to I Can't Wait to Tell You, a podcast I created to share with you my knowledge, stories, and experiences on spirituality, food, health, mindset, and on life in general. My goal is to tell you everything I wish I had known when I decided to take control of my reality and start living the life of my dreams. We all deserve to make some magic, so let's jump right in because there are so many things I can't wait to tell you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode, not even just another episode of I Can't Wait to Tell You, but the 100th episode. I am Casey. I am your host. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I am so excited, and I also had cold brew, so I'm really (laughs) feeling alive right now. So I just have to first and foremost say thank you to every single person who has been listening to the show and allowed me to continue to do this for 100 episodes, two years. Oh, what a journey. You know, it just seems like yesterday that my intuition was like, this podcast, this podcast, this podcast is meant to come through you. And I was like, okay. And I honestly do not foresee an end at all. And I'm just so excited for what it has brought into my life, the people and the experiences, and I'm excited to see where it takes me in the future. And it's just, I, what I really want to say about this, and I've said this in past episodes though, is that if you are being called to something, if your intuition is nudging you to something, make it happen. Take the small steps to make it happen. I had no idea how to edit or record or any of the things. And so I Googled things and I asked people and I got the equipment and I just made it happen. You don't have to have this big, extravagant, you know, let's use a podcast as an example. You don't have to have a studio and all this cool equipment. Like I had one mic and I recorded in my closet. I still record in my closet, (laughs) you know? So whether it be a podcast or a business or a travel adventure, whatever it might be, just start taking small steps. Go on Pinterest and look at where you might want to travel. If you want to start a business, think about how you want to help people, right? Like just lean in, lean into your dreams. So here we are, episode 100. And if you've been listening to the show since the beginning, I'm so glad that you're here. If you've been listening just for this episode or the past few episodes, I'm so grateful. And it would help me so much if you listen to the show and you haven't left a review yet. If you would scroll to the bottom of iTunes and leave a comment in a review, it would be super appreciated by me. And as for this episode, I am very excited because I got to interview Keith Wilson of Keith's Cacao. So you have heard me talk a lot on the show about cacao and how for quite some time it replaced my morning coffee and now I drink both. But it really did wonders in my life and 
I'm not even being dramatic when I say like it really changed my life. It opened up my heart. It opened up my mind. It helped me get creative. It helped me tap into this different version of myself. And I'm going to be honest with you when I say that like when I first heard about ceremonial ceremonial cacao and heard people talking about it, I was kind of like, y'all are drinking expensive chocolate. (laughs) Right? Like, I'm sure that it does all of these wonderful things and has all of these benefits, but like, I'm going to stick to my $10 cacao powder from Sprouts. And I will be the first to tell you that (laughs) it is far more than just some chocolate. Now, in this episode... So, so let me, let me tell you about this episode. So it is three hours long, you guys. And so what I, I I really went back and forth between making it into two parts and cutting it into different segments and doing all of this, all of these different things. But honestly, the easiest and most fun way of going about this for me and that I felt the easiest way to put it out into the world is to just unedited, uncut, put it out there. So this episode is indeed going to be three hours, three hours. And I want to tell you a little bit about the dynamic of the episode as well as what Keith and I talk about. So usually when I start an episode, the person and I have already talked about what's going to go down in the episode a little bit. You know, I'm like, I don't really plan things. We'll just go with the flow of the conversation. There's one thing that I will ask you. Is there any questions that you have for me, et cetera, et cetera. And so (laughs) when we got on, Keith and I, he was just like, can I tell you a story? We got right into it. And I was like, yes. And from the story that he opens with, we just traveled throughout his life and all of his stories. And he has such a cool background that led him to becoming a chocolate shaman in Guatemala and being found by the cacao spirit, Mama Cacao. And not only is it storytelling and intuitive conversation, but we also talk about quantum and manifestation. And at one point he helps me jump into a different dimension and become a different version of myself as a runner. And you get to hear how he does it. And it worked for me. You know, I went for a run after this and after we recorded our episode and it was fabulous. And I was just kind of like, wow. So what I would say is this is the perfect episode in terms of not only information, but of storytelling, you know, it's just fun to listen to. And honestly, Keith is one of the most enlightened people I've ever talked to. I could tell just speaking to him, it was, it was crazy and amazing and inspiring. And I was really honored to have him on the show. And so I would say, get yourself some cacao, start to listen to the episode, maybe go for a long walk in nature as you do. But I would say really be present with this episode and take it for all it's worth because in every story Keith tells, I found myself finding these nuggets of wisdom. And it's just, it's just such a phenomenal episode. And for the first time, I just usually in episodes I go in and I edit and I cut things and I just make it, you know, perfect. But for this, I'm just going to leave it all. I'm going to leave it be. And in case, just as an aside, in case you want to get some cacao for yourself before you listen to this, or just in general, I do have a code that you can use to get yourself some cacao. And the code is Casey20US. 20. And I'll put that in the show notes as well as the link to Keith's Cacao. That way you can go right to the website and use that to get yourself some 
some cacao and potentially become a practitioner so that you can lead ceremonies and you can really become the next level version of you if you want to take that step with cacao. So for my 100th episode, I am so honored and grateful to have been able to interview Keith. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Well, welcome. Uh, Where in the world are you? I am in just south of Denver, Colorado. Ah. Yes. Yes. Wow. I used to live in Colorado. Yeah? Whereabouts? Woo. Well, I started in Arvada. Okay. And then I spent some time in Boulder and in Evergreen. Nice. Very nice. And then I moved to Leadville. Mm. And for about five years, I spent my winters in Leadville. Okay. And every day I went out with either snowshoes or skis and went up. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, climbed uh, 14,000 foot peaks there outside of Leadville uh, in the middle of the winter. Yes. Um, had an absolutely incredibly wonderful time. Uh, I, I had a job working in the mines. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I. Uh, $2.89 an hour <laughs> plus, plus contract. Wow. Um, yeah, I worked in uh, Black Cloud and I worked in uh, Climax Molybdenum Mine. Okay, wow. Um, working with absolutely the, mo- the, the machines so insane you cannot imagine them. Oh, I, yeah. Um, I ran for a long while. I ran an Air Forty Mucker, okay, which has it's it's got to be the most insane machine on the planet. Yeah. So you stand on two little platforms, just big enough for your toes. Oh God! <laughs> on the side of this machine that has four independently controlled wheels on it. Um, rubber tires on it and you hold on to the machine on the two controls yeah and one control is forward back right left okay and the machine runs on a two and a half inch diameter high pressure air hose and air has amazing power and if you hit the forward this machine with you riding on it lurches forward i mean absolutely jumps forward (laughs) and of course it's running over the surface of the mine that is just loose rocks and everything else bouncing all over the place it's like riding a bucking bronco yeah and then the other control is for the bucket in front. Okay. And so you run the machine forward. <laughs> so you've just drilled a whole bunch of holes yep. and you've blasted and you have a big pile. It's called muck okay. of um, broken rock. Mm-hmm. And you run the machine forward into the monk muck and yep. fill the scoop. And then you hit the back on the scoop and the scoop goes about this fast into the bin that's sitting in front of you. It goes poof that fast. Wow. But you have to bobble it. 
mm. part way up. Because otherwise, if there's a rock rolling off the edge of the scoop, yeah. that rock is going to take your face off when, when it goes boom, into the bin right in front of you. Right. And, and then you run the machine back, lower the scoop, run it forward, ram it into the muck, get another scoop, bam, into the bin. And then once you fill the container in front of you, which is about a, like a little bit more than a cubic yard, a cubic mm -hmm. meter. Then you hit the reverse and you go screaming down the mine tunnel, dragging this 200, this two and a half inch air hose until you get to the place where you're going to dump it. And, and if you just holding on to the controls, riding this yeah. bucking Bronco, if you just lean a little bit forward, okay. your face will be literally taken off by the scoop. There's no protection. There's no nothing. It is, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. It's a compressed air. I mean, they use compressed air for jackhammers. Yeah. The jackhammer, they use a three quarter inch tube. With the Air 40 Mucker, it's a two and a half inch tube. It's just <gasps> unbelievable the amount of power right. it has. And it's it's the most insane machine you can absolutely imagine. I if you can do that, I feel like you could do anything. <laughs> like after that was everything a cakewalk. <laughs> yes. Um Wild. and then you are um uh, I mean, at the time, yeah. the average weatherman bomb yeah. was six sticks, 12 inches long okay. of 20% dynamite. Yeah. Okay. I was shooting off 50 to 75 sticks, 18 inches long of 80%. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I would, in my lunch bag, I would smuggle dynamite and blasting caps out of the mine. Yeah. Take them home. Yeah. <laughs> and on weekends, I would go to the dump. Yep. And I got really good. I could place <laughs> some dynamite around an engine block yep. in a junk car. Yep. Blow the car or the pickup truck away from the engine block without even damaging the oil pan oh, wow. and then use a winch to drag a couple of 500 pound engine blocks up into my pickup truck oh my and God. then the next day take it down the mountain to denver yeah where i would um go to a scrap yard yeah. and the engine blocks because they're very high quality iron sold yeah. for very good money. And then I would take that money to the health food store yeah. and load up with an entire month of food to take back up into the mountains. Wow. Keith, you're making me feel like I've been doing Colorado all wrong. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> like, that sounds like how you got to do it. <laughs> yeah. It was an invent. It was a total adventure. Yeah. Oh my God. And, um, <laughs> Um, for like for entertainment in town, mm -hmm. there was a bar that had a piano. Yep. And there was a guy that came to live in town. 
mm-hmm. who was a, an ex-alcoholic yeah. and drug addict from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And he was a honky-tonk piano player from that, from, I mean, from that era. Yeah. And we would all go out in the evening to this bar Mm -hmm. and I would generally bring him some, because he no longer drank, I would bring him some juice. Yeah. Um, Some, some veggie juice from the, you know, the juicer, some green stuff. Nice. And he would drink that and he would play. I mean, recording quality playing, except the piano wasn't recording quality, but, but anyway, it was close. Yeah. And he knew how to tune the piano, so he had taken care of it. Mm-hmm. And he would play New Orleans honky-tonk um, from back, all the way back into the, the 20s. Yeah. And just hammer it out, and we'd all have a party. Yes. And... He he was old. He had a lot of health problems. I, I helped him a lot with his health problems. Mm-hmm. And he died. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the um, the ambulance and stuff that went over and they took yep. his body and stuff. And yep. um, we found his will. Mm. which was right there. He knew he was going. He had yeah. a, he had a will out. He'd talk to people about his will. Yeah. And his will left his entire fortune, which is $3,000. Yep. <laughs> oh man, I really feel this <laughs> to all of us at the bar. And he said, here is $3,000. Yeah. It's every bit I have. Mm-hmm. You take this money and you don't stop partying until it's gone. Oh, oh my God. And so he did. Yes. And oh. You know, we're, I'm, t- I'm talking um, 1973. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and in Leadville, it, snow would cover the ground. Mm. Um, you know, the main street in town, you would not see pavement on the main street in town yeah. for about five months. Yeah. But in what's called, um, generally called the January thaw. Yeah. About the um, third week and third or fourth week in January, mm-hmm. things would thaw out just a little bit and you'd see pavement. Mm. But then there, there, I mean, you know, Leadville is a small town and like mm-hmm. any small town, there are dogs everywhere. Yeah. And the dogs would shit all winter long and it would immediately go into the well below zero deep freeze. (laughs) And then in one week in April, six months of dog shit would come out of the deep freeze and it would be everywhere. (laughs) And so that's the week that um, I would leave town. Yeah, <laughs> smart. It was, yeah. it was really bad. <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, I worked in the mines. I I got a um, I bid on a job. Yeah, and I got the job of re-wallpapering the Healy House, okay. which is a museum in Leadville. Okay. Um, with rooms from past history. It was the um, 
it was the place where the school teachers lived. And back then, if you were a school teacher, you had to be single. You could not be married. Oh, that was considered um, um, incorrect. Interesting. You you couldn't be a school teacher and be having sex. The, wow. You know, even yeah. even if you were married, it yeah. didn't didn't matter. You oh, had to be single. Yeah. Like you know, it's kind of like being a priest. Yeah. You, you're supposed to be single, and so all of the school teachers lived in the Healy House. Yeah. And they had converted the Healy House back to this museum. Yeah. Of rooms with you know as if the school teachers were living there with all of the kinds of things they had at that time yeah and um i i got the job they had they had stripped off layers of wallpaper there were five layers on the, of wallpaper and they'd mm -hmm. gone down to the original layer yeah and then had that wallpaper duplicated by a custom wallpaper manufacturer you know that victorian wallpaper yeah Yep. And it was our job mm. to redo the Healy House with that wallpaper. Okay. To, to make it, to, you know, to basically return it to looking Victorian. Yeah. And the place had, at that time, it had 50,000 visitors a year. Wow. Okay. So um, through, through the museum. Yeah. So it was... I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And I spent a huge amount of time in the mountains, mm. especially in the winter. Yeah. I know. You're inspiring me. I got to get to the mountains more. I'm like, wow. Yay. <laughs> I got to yeah. get there more. It was, it was such a, you know, it was a really crazy time. Yeah. I had the, the cheapest self-sufficient shack yeah. <laughs> yes. to live in in town. Yeah. Um, one room. Yep. And a, a a big box with all my bags of beans and grains. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and a yep. little gas stove. And yep. Wow. Very good. So. So you had some good times here. I love it. I I did. I yeah. did. And you know, at the time, Leadville was the. Uh, the, you know, there was a little um, tiny ski area outside of town, but mm -hmm. we were right in the middle of Vale, Aspen, and Breckenridge. Yeah. But it wasn't a ski town. Right. And it was, you know. Yeah. Bunch of hippies living in the mountains. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, a lot of local people and miners. Yeah. Wow. So good. So and cool. What what an adventure. What an adventure. I mean <laughs> <laughs> Right? Like wow. That's and it was in the um the <clears throat> I was just getting into healing work. Mm. It was the early part of, of that. Mm. And um just I was starting to discover that yeah. there was some kind of spiritual magic, energy magic that kind of thing yeah and experience it and play with it yeah and um, go hiking mm -hmm. get into nature yes where better go, to experience it go up 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 into the mountains in the winter yes 
And um, it, it got pretty extreme. Yeah. I remember getting caught in a storm, climbing um, a ridge on Mount Elbert, mm. and trying to, the, the, the peaks on the ridge yeah. are called, it's from the French uh, alpine term, they're called gendarmes. Okay. And so as you go up the ridge, you have these little peaks to either go over or go around. Yep. And we got to one of these things and couldn't get around it to either the right or the left. And it was way too steep to go over. Yeah. And to get a better look at it, could we go partially up and go around? To get a better look at it, I went up the gendarme that was next to it. Yeah. That we had already passed. I went up it a little ways. Mm-hmm. And... I, I saw a possible route, but it looked like really difficult and the wind was coming up and it was getting like really insane. Yeah. And I mean, this is ice axes and crampons and, yeah. um, you know, ropes and, and a huge gust of wind oh came God. along yep. and coming up the mountain Yeah. and it lifted me right off of where I was. And my, my climbing buddy is yeah. down below and yeah. watches me float over his head <laughs> in the air yeah. in, um, you know, well over a hundred mile an hour winds. And he said, just before I was about to hit the other rock face, yeah. I turned around to face it yeah. and hit the face and jammed in my crampons and um, ice axes. And I was above the hard part. Yeah. And then could put in some protection there, move around it, get to the other side. And then the guy that was belaying me, I could bring him up. But that's how we got past that is the wind picked me up and floated me. Here you go. (laughs) Yep. Just so... Wow. Was, we we had we had a lot of adventure and a lot of fun. Right. And uh I was really interested in climbing at that time. Yeah. But I learned that I've got the wrong body type. Mm. I'm tall and thin. Yeah. So I have a very high surface area to volume ratio. Mm. Which means that I am the first person who's going to get frostbite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um because the the really good climbers are short and stocky. They're yeah. compact. Yeah. And um, at, at least winter climbers, Everest mm-hmm. climbers, people like that. Yeah. Um, but I centered more on caving. Mm. And um, cool. had just, un, you know, yeah. went places where no one had ever been before. Yeah. Invented the equipment that cavers still use wow. to climb ropes. Wait, um, really? Set, yes. Cool. <laughs> set international records. Oh my god. <laughs> um, for you know the fastest time out of the most incredible pit in the world, and wow, you know, yeah, all of this kind of stuff. But yes. I will tell you a story. This yeah. is a caver story. Okay. All right. 
so to to be on the leading edge of mm. caving in yep. southern Mexico, you have to go find the caves. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that means you have to four-wheel drive up into the middle of nowhere yeah. and find the little towns and then walk mm-hmm. even further up where there are indigenous people who do not speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And most of them have not, they have no idea what's over the hill because mm-hmm. they've never been there. Yeah, They've been from the little place where they live down to the town they do their trading in. Yep. And you have to find the trader, the trapper, the insane person, the wanderer who mm-hmm. does know what's on the other side of the hill and knows yep. where the caves are. Yeah. And you have to find them and talk to them or they'll they'll take you and uh, yep. I had um gifts mm-hmm. for the people I met. Mm-hmm. Um most of these people were outside of the money economy. Mm-hmm. Everything was, was barter. Um, and one gift I had was um, 22 caliber bullets mm-hmm. where uh, very few of them had a, had a rifle. O- only a hunter would have one, yeah. but they knew what they were and they knew they were highly tradable. Mm. And I could have a little box of them about this big. And the box had 50 of these gifts in it. Yeah. Which was actually (laughs) better than money. Yeah. And the other thing I had as gifts for people that like gave me a place to stay. Mm -hmm. um, And I mean, I'm talking about people. Yeah. Who, when I would walk into their community, would invite me into their home. Mm. everything they had was mm. shared. They had no fear. Yeah. They were, it was, <laughs> it was like I had met the first real people I'd ever met in my life. When was this? Um, Ish. 1971, okay. 1970. Okay. 1969. Yep. Um, they were, they were open and honest and conscious Mm -hmm. and even later when you'd see somebody that had just come out of the mountains and come into the city you could recognize the difference they hadn't gotten shut down yet yeah um they 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 were present they were aware of the nature spirits Mm -hmm. and you know when when you were out with them or something and and you looked over because i could tune into the nature spirits and yeah. they, they realize that, Oh, you know it too. And <laughs> yeah. I was in one place and the last white person mm-hmm. in the Valley mm-hmm. was a botanist in the 1930s. Wow. And you know, here I walk in, I've got long hair, yeah. a beard, yep. weird clothes, yep. great big boots with really funny soles on them. I mean, I'm, I'm freaking from the moon, (laughs) (laughs) literally. And I'm totally welcomed. Yeah. You know, if I'm a bad guy, they'll find out later and they'll deal with it. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm literally family. Yeah. Now, one of the gifts I took was United States Kennedy half dollars, Mm -hmm. 50 cent pieces Mm -hmm. with Kennedy's image on it. 
And of course, they're, they're all Catholic. And even that far removed, they knew who Kennedy was because Kennedy worldwide, Kennedy and Lincoln are considered literally to be saints. And since Kennedy um, was the first Catholic president um, of the United States, he was especially known. And so does somebody that put me up in their house and fed me. And, and I mean, these people did not have much. Yeah. Um, besides some money, I would give them a Kennedy half dollar mm. because they, they knew what it was. Yeah. And it would immediately go on the altar. And in all my time with these people, not a single person ever asked me the peso equivalent of the coin. How much is this worth? Mm. I mean, they, they know it's United yeah. States money and they know yeah. it's uh, um, Kennedy, but it was a sacred object and it went on the altar. Yeah. And <laughs> nobody <laughs> ever asked, right. what is this worth? Yeah. It wasn't money. Right. And, and they knew I was giving them a, um, basically a talisman. Yeah. I was giving them a sacred object. Yeah. And they appreciated it as the sacred object. Yeah. And I got to, so I'll tell you a story. Yeah. A bunch of us went to explore a cave that we'd heard about. Yeah that had a, a little stream coming out of it. And there were supposed to be blind cave fish in the cave. In other words, fish so totally adapted to the cave environment, they no longer have eyes. Mm -hmm. And they're wow. white to transparent. Mm. And they, they live in this environment along with other kinds of cave creatures. Yeah. And um, there are people that are you know, as biologists or whatever, they're really interested in these life forms. So we were going to check this cave out and, mm -hmm. and we found it and it was a, a, a small little cave and the locals went there to grab these fish and eat them. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a, um, you know, a frigging endangered species, but they don't know it. <laughs> right. And so they eat them. Mm. And uh, being, you know, my, my training was as a geologist. Yep. And so it's, it's understood that if you've got a cave yep. draining water at this level, there's probably a cave up the hill at a higher level mm. from, you know, a million years ago or something yep. Yep. when the surface level of the ground was much higher, mm -hmm. uh, when the water table was higher. And so we went up the hill Yep. looking for the possibility of an entrance and we didn't find anything and got all the way to the top and then spread out through the jungle, uh, through the rainforest, looking for, you know, holes or pits or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And someone found one and we got everyone over there and we found that there were three holes in a row. Mm-hmm. And each hole was about, um, oh, 10 meters in diameter, uh, eight to 10 meters in diameter. Okay. And in tossing rocks into them, it was okay. So they're about 250 feet down. 
to the top of the debris pile. Okay. And we picked one of the holes that had the the cleanest face where you could hang, a, you know, tie a rope to a tree and go down. Um, and the first person went down. Yeah. And there's a communication thing that you have going where um, when you get to the bottom, you communicate, you know, up uh, with what you found. Yeah. And we saw the tension be removed from the rope partially. Mm. So we knew that they'd hit the bottom okay. and no verbal communication came up. Hmm. And now this is, this is a problem. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we yelled down, it's only, um, you know, 250 feet yep. and we yelled down and no verbal communication came back up. It hmm. was completely silent. So you don't know if they ended up in water, right? Um, if there's nothing down there but water, yeah, which would have been unlikely because we were up the hill quite a ways, yeah, and and so um, with no communication um, and with the weight off the rope, the second person got on the rope and went down really quickly, yeah, and from the bottom came up, oh my god, you know, yelling yeah. down, what? <laughs> Oh my God. What? Oh my God. Third person clips in and yep. goes down and up from the bottom comes. Holy shit. <laughs> what? Holy shit. <laughs> there's, there's only five of us. So only four people can go down because somebody right. has to stay at, at right. the top. And so the fourth person comes down and, uh, yep. you know, it gets communicated that everything is okay. Mm -hmm. And we, we start exploring the bottom. Mm. And so in, in a row, there are three holes mm -hmm. that open into rooms. And so if you can imagine a, a very large passage. Yeah cave passage mm -hmm. that has broken through to the surface okay. in three places. Okay. So now you have this large cave passage yeah. passage, but you have three mountains mm. of the debris from breaking through to the surface yeah. with each mountain having a skylight above it. Yeah. And there, there was a place where you could look down and you could see the three mountains and the three skylights yeah. coming in and illuminating. I mean, I mean, it's just, just beautiful. Yeah. But the reason why everybody was just absolutely flabbergasted yeah. is that all three mountains mm -hmm. were totally covered with human bones. Oh my God. We had found a pre-Columbian burial cave that was 10,000 times larger than anything known by the anthropologists. Oh. Three mountains covered with human bones. Oh and we kept it secret. No way. Why? 
because we knew what would happen. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, um, I found out later that one of the guys in the group had in his pocket a penny, a United States copper penny, and he left it on a rock in a Mm -hmm. prominent place because he had a 1970 penny. And that was the year we were there. And so if anybody ever finds it, they're going to find a 1970 copper penny as, as well as um, footprints, you know, Vibram sold footprints that will also date it to about 1970. Right. That a bunch of people found this place. And one of the people on the trip had had training in anthropology. Yeah. And was able to, uh, you know, date it and identify the culture and stuff from the pots that were also there. Wow. And we all decided to keep it secret. And that one shot with the skylights illuminating the mountains of human bones, I absolutely guarantee you that that shot will be on the cover of National Geographic. Mm. It's, it's, it's classic. It's beautiful. And, of course, the find is so incredible. Right. And we, de- we decided to keep it an absolute secret. And I, I know that the location of that cave could be sold for at least a quarter of a million dollars. Because the anthropologist, the archaeologist who discovers yeah. it will be famous. Yeah. And somebody who wants a famous archaeologist's son or daughter yeah. would would pay for it. Right. Wow. So no one yeah. has found it still. No, since 1970, it wow. is still un, completely unknown. And I mean, you'll you'll know it because it is it is so spectacular yeah. that it will ne- it will be on li- literally. That picture will be on the cover of National Geographic. We removed all the film from the cameras. No pictures. Wow. Oh, my. And no one ever told. That is the, that might be the best part that none of you told. No, nobody told. And you, you would literally have to have a helicopter at treetop level. Yeah. And it's in an area of Mexico where there are holes everywhere, <laughs> square miles yeah. of holes. Right. And, you know, we were there and going down a lot of them. Yeah. And, they're, and basically, they're all about 250 to 300 feet deep, and they're blind, and they don't go anywhere. Right. Uh, and you go down to the bottom, and there's a bunch of dirt in the bottom, and that's it. Yeah. Not those ones, so, though. Not that one. <laughs> not that one. Just and it's in an area of Mexico yeah. where there are no stone ruins. Yeah. And so it's not a place where people would go and look for, right. um, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's not like it's next to a bunch of temples yeah. and is going to be found. Right. It's literally nowhere. Wow. That a pre-Columbian is- burial cave. A pre-Columbian burial cave. Wow. And I always wanted to go back yeah. with a metal detector. Yeah. <laughs> and because obviously it not being around one of the stone city states, it would yeah. have been in a poor area. Yeah. But and so there wouldn't have been likely to be much artifacts of, of gold or something yeah. like that. But yeah. I always wanted to go back with a metal detector <laughs> and just wander around and, right. and see see if anything would show up. Totally. Um, and but but I never did. It's still it's still there. 
and 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 because it has literally been over 400 years since the last dead body was thrown in into it yeah it has totally been forgotten locally right and you know with all the diseases and and stuff in the spanish yeah. conquest and the destruction of the uh, indigenous population and culture um at, at this point it's just another of thousands of holes wow and and you know the local people don't go down those holes right Right. Because there's nothing down there. Right. <laughs> nothing I mean, down there. Yeah. Yeah. Why why would you? Right. And so there it is. It's out there in the in the um rainforest. Wow. And uh <laughs> that might be the coolest story I've ever heard. <laughs> you wanna you want another really cool story? Absolutely. Keep them coming. All right. <laughs> So we, um, you know, as I, as I said, if you're going to do this uh, high-end caving, you got to go find the caves. Yep. And so we four-wheel drived up into a small community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you pull into the square and yeah. you get out and you've got to find the mayor or, mm-hmm. the you know, somebody in authority to... Yeah you know, introduce yourself and say why you're there and then ask if there are any caves or pits or um, they call them there, sotanos, which is the the Spanish word for a pit or a well. Mm, And, and, you know, to, to start asking, um, you know, go through the proper protocol so they understand um, who you are and you're not criminals. Yeah. And you're you're interested in um, them and what they have. And so we, some people from the, um, you know, municipal authorities came mm-hmm. uh, or we found them and they we talked to them and uh, a crowd started to gather. Mm. And a whole community of silent people were standing around us. Mm. And it was weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like okay, something's going on here and we don't have any idea what is, what is going on. Right. Right. Um, but, and they were all waiting. The mayor was off, off in the field somewhere yeah. Yeah. Um, with his, with his cornfield or something. And yeah. so somebody had to go get him and he had to come in yeah. and, and nobody was going to say anything until the mayor got there. Yeah. Um, which, which is of course understandable. Yeah. And so finally, when the mayor got there, um, there were a lot of questions of like, um, do you, um, you know, you, you go down pits yeah. and how far can you go down? Well, we, we could go down hundreds of meters, yeah. hundreds of meters, you, you know, all of this kind of thing. Yep. And, you know, it had to pull the equipment out of the back of the truck, the yeah. ropes and everything. This is, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. We are alpinistas. Yeah. Um, you know, we're alpinists, but that would be the term down there because yeah. cavers or spelunkers is not a, right. it's not a part of their language, but, yeah. but they understand alpinistas. Okay. And so the story finally came out and the story, story was about four years ago, Mm -hmm. 
the village priest had been murdered by the village insane person Mm. and his body thrown down a pit just outside of town. And they had no way to go get it. So the priest had never gotten a proper Catholic burial. And they're such a small village, so removed. It wasn't like the army or somebody could come in and lower a winch down there and get the priest's body. Right. And so uh, the, the insane person had gone to prison. Yeah. But the priest was still down the hole. And now the community had a like a rotating priest that came every few days and the Mm -hmm. other days, uh, you know, like once a week and the other days was in other villages. Yeah. And so the entire community took us and our equipment out to this hole. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, a a typical hole with kind of a (coughs) conical dirt and vegetation slope Mm. down to the opening and we you know tossed a couple of little rocks and again it was that 250 300 feet deep and um we rigged a rope and sent the first person down and then um um he the the passageway was too small to you could didn't really communicate verbally yeah. so um he came back up and said okay we need um we need you know little digging tools we need like like trowels and little weeding tools mm-hmm. and we need sacks and we need all of this and yeah. yes the priest is down there his body is totally decomposed but right. the 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 person brought up a piece of clothing Wow. Um, you know, synthetic clothing survived. Yeah. And, and uh, of course, all of the dirt that had fallen in since then mm. had covered um, yeah. most everything. The, yeah. the dirt and the leaves and the, you know, whatever yeah. uh, came in. And, and so people in the community ran off to, to get us all kinds of shovels and hose and scrapers and yeah. And, and various kinds of, of things, yeah. um, including um, great big metal spoons and, you know, that were really from the kitchen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and all these things that we'd asked for. Yeah. Plus the bags. Mm. And we got, a, we got a bunch of people down there yeah. uh, on the bottom and started doing literally an archaeological dig starting at the bottom and very carefully going through and getting bone fragments and clothing and boots, you know, shoes, everything and putting them in bags and bringing them up. Um, uh, All the bones were separated and scattered. Yeah. Um, But, um, you know, we, we found lots of bones, including finger bones. We're really, really careful. Yeah. And we had all the kinds of support, you know, food, drink, everything from the local people. And and we would send up bag after bag of this stuff with a few more pieces in it. Mm -hmm. So they, they, you know, they were really, really happy and um, helping us. 
And at one point, one of the diggers down there, I was up on top at the time, found the priest's ring. Wow. Um, and knew it was like super important. Yeah. And came up with just the ring to give it to the mayor. Yeah. And that was like the, oh my God, that was like the totally sacred moment. Yes. Giving the priest's ring uh, to, to the mayor, the, the, um, the uh, circuit priest mm. was in another town at the time. Yeah. And so it, it literally, it took us all day to excavate this um, dirt and leaf litter slope. Yeah. And, and find every little piece, you know, I mean, literally including finger and toe bones. Oh my. And I, I know we didn't get everything, but, yeah. but we, we, we gave it our best. Yeah. And then um, they, you know, they announced to us that we were invited to a celebration mm. that, uh, I mean, by that time it was um, late, late afternoon. Yep. And they said that the ladies had started cooking, yep. you know, and the, the literally the absolute best the community had to offer yeah. was going to be presented to us. Right. And, uh, you know, we were this this was wonderful. This was I mean, they were overjoyed. Yeah. Because when the uh, the circuit priest came back, they would have a proper Catholic burial mm. for all of these parts of the priest, you know, like we. We had the skull and all the, the major bones and, yeah. and uh, lots of clothing yeah. um, and the ring. Yeah. And, and so um, well, we go back to the village and everybody gets, you know, cleaned up and um, we're, we, we're, we're the you know, total heroes and everything. Yeah. And this is going on. And one of the women in the group. Yep comes back because she'd been hanging out with the women um, who, who are doing all the, the food preparation and the, and the cooking. And she yeah. says, Oh my God. Oh my God. As the guest of honor, we each have a roasted puppy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And, 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 and she said, I can't do it. You know, it's roasted. It looks like a puppy. It's a real puppy. It was a whole entire litter, one for each of us. Oh my God. The fattest puppies in the village. No. And we each, we each had one for ourselves. <laughs> as the guests of honor oh with the best the village had to offer and she's back and she's going like like there's no way <laughs> and and it's going to the a community is of course we the the people there yeah. are are people who have interacted with such indigenous communities looking for caves for a long right. time and we know that it is going to be a major offense right and basically a frigging international incident, if you will. <gasps> and, and so we have a little powwow yep. and we figure, figure out what to do. Yeah. And we go and talk to the mayor. Yeah. And we, and we tell the mayor yeah. that in our culture, mm -hmm. 
this will be a great embarrassment Mm. that if the special puppies are not shared with everyone in the village, that we will feel culturally embarrassed. Mm. Mm -hmm. And and of course, the mayor is like, oh, well, I don't want to, you people are heroes. I don't want to create embarrassment and you know an incident here and so we will be absolutely delighted to um help you eat these puppies you know cut the puppies up for everybody to have a little piece oh my god oh (laughs) did did you eat it did you eat some i did okay how was it (laughs) i had i had a tiny tiny little piece okay as did everyone else. Yep. Um, and some people very carefully slipped their little piece to the uh, abundant dogs yep. underneath the table. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was uh, absolutely delicious. No way. But oh yes, it was. It was absolutely delicious. Wow. But I'm glad I didn't have more than that half a bite. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so um we were we were totally the heroes of the day. <laughs> wow. And, um it was it was quite an adventure and then you know the the villagers who knew things where things were, took us to all of the other little holes and various things in the area. Yeah. Um, we didn't find anything that really, as they say, went anywhere. Yeah. But um, we, uh, that's part of the adventure of being, um, you know, Yeah. you want to do some of the biggest, most amazing cave systems on planet Earth, you got to go find them. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and, and then you can explore them. Right. So it was, uh, a lot of caver stories like that. Yeah. Um, of just finding um, um, amazing things. Yeah. Going, uh, some of the places were extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you're, when you're going in a cave that is at the end of a river. Yeah. And if you're in there when there's a thunderstorm, um, you're in a lot of trouble. Right. Right. On. What an adventure. What an adventure. Anyway, that's a little background before yeah. I got into healing. Mm-hmm. And I got into healing about 1974. Okay. I was back in the town that I grew up in, in central Pennsylvania. Yep. And I was getting into uh, channeled literature at the time. Mm. And starting to learn, I learned about eight different systems of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with um, 
the acupressure, the work on the pressure points, mm -hmm. uh, shiatsu, doin, uh, the uh, Western version called acupressure, mm -hmm. that all work on the acupuncture um, systems. Mm -hmm. And then I got into herbalism mm -hmm. and I spent literally three years totally immersing myself uh, going out every day, finding new plants, identifying them, um, taking them to the university in my town if I couldn't figure out what they were, and asking somebody who probably knew. Mm. Um, and collecting, you know, I had an entire room at my parents' place full of bags of herbs, and yeah. then practicing... Um, medical herbology mm. and I lived in a town with 30,000 undergraduates at the local university mm. and so there were a lot of people to work with yeah um, I mean it's basically no different then than it is now yeah. there were huge numbers of issues with stress there were menstrual problems mm. of you know a full range mm. and uh a lot of pain heavy bleeding you know mm. just I, I think it is even worse now mm -hmm. but i i learned to work with all of this kind of stuff i worked with some you know athletes at the university yeah. who would get um um wounded in some way mm -hmm. and needed to recover very quickly for um, a meet for an event. Yeah. And um, I, I, you know, developed a reputation mm -hmm. for um, being able to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I remember one um, Olympic level athlete who fell on a cinder track. Ooh you know, a, 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 a running track yep. and the bed of the track is cinders mm. and had all of these cinders ground into his knees. Mm. And the medical treatment is they're going to um, shine a light from the side and underneath your skin. Yeah. And then they're going to cut the skin open and pull out all of these cinders. Oh. Now, if if you have that happen, yeah. you your your knees are going to have to. They're going to take a while to recover. Yeah. And I knew about poulticing, and I knew the plants, and you put a a pile of pulped up plants. Yeah. Um, most of them weeds. Yeah. On the knee and it pulls the cinders out. And you it's a called a drawing poultice. That's the, the name in herbology for yeah. it. And it it pulls all these things to the surface. And then the body tells you when you need to take it off and put on a new bunch of pulped up plants. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to literally cut the skin open all over the place and, yeah. and you know, pull pull these specks of uh, dirt out of the wound. Yeah. And it also, at the same time, keeps infection from 
going crazy. Wow. Which is likely going to happen if you yeah. get dirt ground into right. your um, skin. Right. And, you, you know, you about put this stuff on somebody yeah. and four hours later, it's starting to get hot and it's okay. The time and to take this pulp bunch of plants off and there's all these cinders sitting right on the top of the skin. Yeah. It's just amazing. And then you put a, you know, you clean it. Yeah. You get everything washed off and then you put a fresh bunch of plants on and maybe with a few more plants for um, wound healing and anti-infective and, you know, that sort of thing yeah. to get, get the next layer of stuff off. And then healing can take place fairly rapidly and they can be able to do their meat yeah. um, uh, or play the game or, you know, whatever they're, they're involved in. Um, and so I ended up with a, working with a lot of people like that yeah. who under you know because of experience of their teammates that there are were ways to do certain things that were easier than what their the you know the team doctors had to offer right than being cut open <laughs> yeah yeah um So anyway, I, I taught about six systems of medicine okay. off and on and, and gradually over time, um, my interest in energy medicine, mm. you know, um, vibration, resonance, frequency, mm -hmm. spiritual energies, that sort of thing. It, it just continued to grow. Yeah. And then in the late 1980s, I joined a meditation and channeling group. Mm. And the, the group was run by a collection of higher dimensional beings okay. who channeled through various members of the group. And I eventually became one of those channels, okay. although more for energy rather than for words. Okay. And it was um, almost seven year process of teaching. Yeah of consciousness development mm. and how to move what many years later Eckhart Tolle called the pain body. Mm. How do you move your density, your shadow, the belief systems that you mm. bought into from culture, parents, yeah. schooling? How do you move this out to make room for who you really are for the light body? Yeah. And I became, um, just an outrageous processing junkie. Yeah. I ended up, I walked away on my, my, all my friends thought I had gone mad. Yeah. I walked away from doing uh, edible and medicinal wild plant classes yeah. every week. Yeah. And I moved to Manhattan. Wow. Um, and I started working with um, HIV positive mostly gay men okay. and a few HIV positive, especially black women mm. doing what I had learned in this group. Yep. Doing energy work and healing work. Yeah. And with an absolute thirst yeah. to do this energy work with people. And I had started by moving to a new age center, yeah. um, Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that 
people's spirituality was on the intellectual level. There was a lot of interest in Zen and things like that. And it wasn't on the emotional level. They didn't have their hearts open. They couldn't feel the energies that I was working with. And I couldn't get the feedback that I needed. Mm. And feedback was very hard to get. I mean, even as a massage therapist. Yeah. It's extremely difficult to get honest feedback from a human being. They don't want to tell you the truth. Right. They want to tell you what you need to hear. Mm. And so I basically learned to be a massage therapist on cats. Yeah, on cats. Cats give you instant feedback. Yeah. You watch the tip of of their tail. Yeah. And if you are just the tiniest little bit off in where, in how much pressure, in the weight, in, in the speed of your movement, their tail will twitch. Wow. Okay. And, they, and, and they won't like it. Yeah. And cats taught me to be tele-empathically tuned in. Mm. And to be able, be, because uh, a cat like a person, yeah. five minutes later, you're working on a different body. Yeah. And you've got to touch it differently. Yeah. And I, I learned that with cats. So what happened in New York City was uh, they called it AIDS, mm. Accelerated Identity Development Syndrome. Mm. Because back then, there's no cure. Right. There's no medicines. Yeah. And the medicines, AZT, that are out there fuck you up even more than the AIDS do. Mm. And so... They called it accelerated identity development syndrome because you are given a death sentence. Yeah. You're going to die in four years, yeah. guaranteed. And what happens is you immediately throw away the bullshit. Yeah. Those petty little arguments you have with your partner, mm-hmm. boom. Yeah. You got no time for that shit. You're yeah. dead. Right. You've got a few years to live. And the last two of them, you're going to be very sick. Yeah. And so you throw away the bullshit. Mm. And it's called hypervigilance because you don't die from the HIV. Yeah. You die from the opportunistic infections. Mm. And, and so you become hypersensitive, hypervigilant, you know, two or three days ahead of time, if you're going to come down with a cold. Wow. So you can start preparing for it because that cold, that infection could be fatal with your compromised immune system. Right. And so they could feel the energies I'm working with Mm. and I'm working with people who have dropped the bullshit. They do not have time for nicey, nicey. They are going to tell you straight up. Yeah. If you are not totally and profoundly connecting with them and where they are. Right. And they need somebody to connect to them, to relate to them and to help them with their issues. Cause they're still most of them, you know, they're in relationships often with a non HIV positive partner. Right. And 
they need help with that relationship. And, you know, being the HIV positive population of Manhattan, they are some of the most creative people on the planet. Yeah. They're the artists and the authors and the playwrights and the actors and the dancers. Yeah. Who are at at the cutting edge of creativity. Mm. And so I'm getting a profound education in working with the issues of creative people. Yeah. It was absolute total. I was in heaven. Yeah. It was an absolute acceleration working with aware people who could feel the energies, who could give me the feedback that I needed to trust what was already happening through me and open up even more of it. And they had no time for bullshit because they don't have long to live. Yeah. So when you say that, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. So when you're saying they didn't have time for bullshit, is it kind of similar to, so when you said Eckhart and his pain body, so when he kind of was ready to, when he was like, I can't do this anymore, I can't be with myself. And in the moment of recognizing that separation and his awareness, that's when he went through his enlightenment overnight. So did they essentially like, when they decided to step out of the bullshit, could they, did they energetically surpass the pain body quickly because they knew death was inevitable? Well, they passed a lot of it. Okay. They passed especially the bullshit, acting out, pissy, Mm. little dramas because you're not dealing with your inner issues that you have with your sweetheart. You know, (laughs) they they move beyond that level to a level of awareness of not only themselves, Mm -hmm. but the emotional energies around them, the other people around them. Yeah. So, uh, oh, you, you will see me from time to time. I'm in a little studio that's behind my house. Yeah. (laughs) And it's an open studio. I mean, it's got a a roof to keep the rain off. Yeah. And we've got a neighbor Mm -hmm. who doesn't care about open containers. Oh. That fill with rainwater and yep. grow mosquitoes. So okay. this is a mosquito zapper Love it. electronic racket. Yep. And they, one after another, they come in here and to avoid being yeah, right. feasted upon, <laughs> yep. um, I'll take a swipe at them. Yeah. And it goes snap, crack, pop. And, um, <laughs> and then you're good. Yeah. And then I'm, and then I'm a little bit, uh, <laughs> can preserve my blood supply. Yes, <laughs> totally. Um, totally. Yes. And uh, so any, anyway, um, this was my primary education. Yeah. And I had, uh, I had a thirst to do these inner work sessions with people as many mm-hmm. as I could. And of course the, the spinoffs, I did all the work with HIV positive people for yeah. free. Yeah. Um, the HIV positive people put me up in their homes, Mm. um, just said, here, come stay with me. Yeah. Um, it was a a beautiful, profound experience. Mm. I, I never got so many offers for marriage. Amazing. I was using sound healing, all of these things to help them with their energy and their life. I mean, I was going into hospitals. Yeah. 
and doing massages on people with open Carposis sarcoma sores on them and doing energy work with them. Yeah. And the doctors and the nurses were walking in with full gowns, goggles, masks, and gloves, yeah. and wouldn't even touch them. Yeah. And I was working with them in the, you know, like you sit down in a hospital bed yeah. with a guy that is going to die in two weeks. Yeah. And, and he's at the very end. Yep. And you go into a guided meditation. And he says, there's a book in front of me. And I say, it's the book of your life. Mm. Open it. And he says, the book is about 3,000 pages. You know, he's 24 years old. Yeah. The book is about 3,000 pages. And I have eight pages to go. And I say, start reading. Mm. The book is going to be about the process that you're going to go through in the last few days of your life. The consciousness, the psychic, the multidimensional, the chakra by chakra resolution mm. of all of these issues that you're going to go through before you die. And he starts reading. And the experience for me was, you're working with someone reading about the last days of their life. Mm -hmm. You better fucking be real. Yeah, right. Because they don't have room for anything mm -hmm. but total relating to them. Yeah. No sympathy at all. Oh, my God. That is not going to cut it. Right. You're going to have to have total empathy, understanding, support, everything. Yeah. And it literally forced me to step up to being able to be profoundly present yeah. for someone. Yeah. Because you, you can't be, you can't be giving platitudes. Right. You can't be giving, oh, you know, <laughs> oh, you poor, you know, you, right. you right. can't be doing shit like that. Right. You've got to be profoundly real and you've got to be with them in an yeah. extraordinary way. Right. And when you are, they know it. And when you're not, they know it. Right. And that, that was what I needed to take me to the next level. Yeah of being able to connect without, you know, either anything from judgment to fear. Yeah. Um, now, and yeah, yeah. At this point, just, just like, so in the, in these moments where you're just profoundly present, there's no option. So at this point in your life, had you stopped operating from the mind already? Had you already started to operate from awareness and consciousness rather than the mind and the ego or was this? No. Okay. I had both. Okay. And I, I had um, my teachers had helped me to understand that I came in as an emotionally centered little boy mm -hmm. and 
created parents, chose parents for myself mm. that would shut that down. Mm. And as my teacher said, you, you know, I, I remember stories from my mom mm -hmm. telling me I used to sit on the sidewalk for hours watching the ants that mm. crawl around on the sidewalk, you, you know, outside the back door, the kitchen door of the apartment. Yeah. And in going back and connecting to that, I realized that I was connecting emotionally, energetic, vibrationally with the ant. Um, and, and since then, I've learned ants are one of my power animals. Yeah. They're one of my totem animals in mm -hmm. a shamanic sense. Mm -hmm. And I've had astonished, the day I moved into the house where I'm living now, yeah. there was a line of ants three inches wide and 100 meters long moving in under the house. Wow. <gasps> wow. Ushering you right in. Yes. Oh. Yes. And I remember one morning, um, I didn't want to get out of bed because the the med my meditations were so powerful. Yeah. And my worker came over about nine o'clock in the morning yeah. and opened the door and looked in the door. And so I'm in bed. Yep. And his jaw just dropped. Yeah. And he just goes, uh, 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 uh. And so there's a wall right behind my head. Yep. And I look back and in an arc that goes from four feet on each side to about four feet above me, the wall is solid black with ants. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah. The <sighs> entire, in, in this arc. Oh my God. And they're all meditating with me. And, and the ants, you know, you can see their little antennas yeah. twitching, but yeah. the ants aren't moving. Right. They are all right there on the wall. The wall is black, eight feet wide and four feet above me in, in this, this complete arc. And we're all hanging out in meditation together. <laughs> Oh my God. So it, things like that were happening. So um, yeah. <laughs> what, what I realized and what my guides helped me understand is that I had to get rid of my emotional body. I had to shut my heart down mm. because if I hadn't done that, I never would have developed my mind. Mm. But shutting that down, I then, you know, developed my mind. I became capable of being a very good student at the top of my class in the yep. university, things yep. like that. Um, and I needed to do that. Yeah. And as my teacher said, okay, now you got the good mind. Yeah. You want to, you want to keep it. Mm. You're going to need it. Yeah. But you're going to need it in partnership with the heart that you open back up, with the right brain, with the intuitive mind that mm -hmm. you open back up. Yes. And they're going to each need to do what they do best both. Yeah. You're going you're to need them both. Yeah. Working in partnership. Mm. And you never would have bothered yeah. 
developing your intellect if you'd have gotten rid of your heart. You'd have tuned in emotionally, psychically, empathically to everything. Yeah. And you, and you never would have bothered with your intellect and where you were going. You needed one. Right. And, and so I, I, you know, I was able then to love the me mm. who learned not to feel. Mm. And then be able to open those feelings back up again. Open the ability to feel, to tune in, to connect, mm. um, to open that up again. Yeah. Um, that it was all part of a larger plan. It wasn't that I had been um, damaged or you know messed up by the consensus reality. I'd very much chosen the whole process yes. so that I could end up in a place with an open mind and an open heart. Mm. Working in partnership. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot of people have done a very similar thing. Yeah. Where they they, they needed both of these um these parts of themselves. Yeah. And uh that's so, so at, at this point, yeah. Um I can be, you know, very analytical and mm-hmm. rational. I have all of that. Yes. And I can also you know, I'm connected to the fifth dimension. And when I'm sitting with someone, I know what I need to know and I need to know it. And I've learned to trust that if I don't know it, I don't need to know it. Yeah. You know, all of those kinds of things that um, just go with that so that I can, um, as I learned to do in Manhattan, I can follow people Mm. and know what they need. Mm. And uh, if uh, you want to let in that little bit of light right above your head, just go ahead. It's from your higher self. You're ready. Okay. (laughs) And just connect to it and feel it come on down in and fill your heart so that you know that it is okay. It's in alignment with you. Mm. It's actually part of you returning. And you'll like remember it from three, four, five years old in yeah. some way. It'll yeah. be familiar or there'll be a recognition or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Yes. Yay. Wow. wow. <laughs> like I need a moment. <laughs> uh-huh. <gasps> wow. But that's literally what I learned to mm. reopen myself mm. so I could participate with other people Mm -hmm. in their journey. And now you can feel your heart chakra Mm -hmm. stretching, expanding. Mm. Yeah. I feel like crying. (laughs) Yes. And and the the beautiful release and the, the, the additional self love, Mm -hmm. which is the, the absolute key. Mm-hmm. to finding more of that love in the mirror outside, you got to have it inside. Wow. Life is so it's, that is like exactly what I have been allowing or trying to allow, but like air quotes around trying, but it was like the final piece to the puzzle I've been putting together for a long time was like love for yourself. Like you are love. Like, that's it. Like You yeah. are love. So be the love and just allow the love. It's not like I was trying to find it here. 
And then I was just like, you know, trying to understand it intellectually, like you were saying. And then even just that simple thing, like allowing it to drop in and then you feel it and you're like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Whoa. Because it already is you Mm -hmm. looking for it Mm. is an energy of coming from lack. Mm -hmm. And so what you find is what you're looking for, which is actually more lack. Mm -hmm. And when you move from that seeking, that looking Mm -hmm. to the finding, allowing, then something that is already belongs to you can come in. And what happens is, is that you discover that you were only pretending not to have it. And uh, I remember my teachers described it as if you've got a bank account Mm -hmm. and it's in your name and you have the, um, the numbers and you have the password and everything and nobody else can have it. But if you don't go and take some of that out, it's as if you don't have it, Mm. even though it belongs to you. If you don't go and get some of what's in that account, it is basically as if you don't have it. If you don't allow yourself to receive from it, Mm -hmm. it's still yours. Mm -hmm. You cannot lose it. It cannot be taken away. But you can pretend that you have no idea it even exists. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, Yeah. And once you realize that it already belongs to you, it's your property, it comes with existence. Yeah. And it is absolutely, uh, deserving it or undeserving it is absolutely irrelevant. Mm. It has nothing to do with that. It's already yours. Mm. And so the, the whole issue is reception. Yeah. Allowing. Mm. Yes. The other night when I was falling asleep or, or trying to, and I was just laying there, I actually got like, when I get messages, I hear it or I'll see the words. Like I don't, mm-hmm. it's not like images. It's like the, the actual words. And I just heard like, you've been giving and never allowing, like never allowing to receive or just like, it was basically just like open up to receiving now. Like you can give, you'll always be giving. We're always giving and we're always taking, but open up to receive. And, and when you were saying that, it was just like this knowing, that knowing that we have, like you said, it came back, but not in, in an understandable way. It was just, oh, I know. Like a, yes. <laughs> so crazy. Like that simple, like, oh, I know. Like verbally I'm saying I know, but meaning that my body was like, oh, I do know this. I remember, I yes. do. I know this. And that the knowing comes in, the information comes in instantly. Yeah. And then your brain can translate it mm. into sentences and paragraphs. Mm. Oh. But you, you, at, at that level, you're not actually getting the words. Mm. You're getting an instantaneous download of knowing. Yeah. And then the, the, if it's appropriate, the human brain can translate it into um, words, sentences, paragraphs that then can be um, given to others or recorded or um, whatever you're doing. 
Yeah. But the but the reception is it's basically instantaneous. Mm. Hmm. Can anyone do that? Can anyone receive like that if they were open to it? Everyone does. Ah. And and ag- ag- again, it's how do you limit it, or what kind of a magic eraser do you have? Mm where you literally pretend that you didn't just <laughs> receive yeah. uh, some higher dimensional input yeah. from another level of your own being or, you know, from the angels or yeah. wh- whatever you want to call it doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah. Um, and that, that working with your, um, your magical eraser mm-hmm. where you're using your power to, Pretend you didn't just do that. Yeah. The knowing comes in and you. Yep. Yep. Just there it is. And you instantly pull out your magic eraser and pretend that it just didn't happen. Yeah. And I mean, that can go all the way to. um, uh, Like the understanding of many um, indigenous peoples and, and people who develop their consciousnesses that the the basic way the normal way that your subconscious mind communicates with you okay is through voices in your native language that originate inside your head Mm. and of course that is considered insanity right if if you have voices coming from inside your head um and of course, a lot of people start with the negative voices. Yeah. And that's considered schizophrenia and okay. um, psychosis and things like that. But it's those negative voices that are energies trying to clear. Okay. And, um, y- you know, there's, there's this pattern. Mm-hmm. I mean, all over the world, anthropologists have asked indigenous peoples, how do you know that this plant is good for this? Um, disorder. Yeah. You know, this plant in your environment, how do you know? Right. And all over the world, they say, well, the plants talk to us. And yet the anthropologists, this isn't real. Yeah. They, they don't believe it. Right. Even though completely separate cultures from all over the world say the same thing, right. the anthropologists can't handle it. Mm. I mean, I mean, is that the, is that the definition of stupidity or what? Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or resistance right. or denial or refusal to um, mm-hmm. of accept anything that is not lineal, logical, rational. And you can, you can read these anthropological papers that right. talk about how they must have experimented <laughs> with all these different plants to see instead of just talking to them. Right. And, and getting the information. And, but once you've had those experiences of hearing that yeah. voice between your ears. Yeah. And uh, uh, you want another story? At any time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, so, I do. <laughs> so my, um, my partner, we've yep. been together about 11 years now. Mm-hmm. My partner was a manager for a retreat center. Okay. 
And an ayahuasca came to the retreat center to do um, an ayahuasca ceremony for the, um, you know, the people in the community, the people they were connected to that would come to the retreat center to do ayahuasca with an experienced guide. Yep. And she was invited to join. Okay. And during the ayahuasca ceremony, uh, she not only had a profoundly transformative experience where people in the retreat center looked at her the next day and said, oh my God, you're different. But she picked, she picked up a voice that talked to her from inside your head, literally between your ears. Mm. I mean, you can tell that is where the voice is coming from. It's coming from the center of your head. Yeah. And, and you hear it audibly, you hear it with your ears, but its origin is inside your head. Yeah. And she picked up this voice and this voice would tell her things. It would say she, she was shy. Yep. And the voice would say, go sit with this person, talk to them. Okay. You'll be glad you did. It's okay. I'll go with you. Yep. (laughs) And when she did that, something beautiful would always happen. Okay. You know, there would be an interaction of some kind, some connection, some learning, some something really beautiful would happen. And so over time, she built up trust in this voice that would come every once in a while and suggest that she do something. And then um, what happened was I had left Guatemala in the summer and it's the rainy season here. I'm going to drive up north and start in Texas and then move over to California and up to Oregon and then turn around and come back doing cacao ceremonies. Yep. And I was doing a cacao ceremony in the town where she was and she had heard that because uh, I'd been there once yep. before that it was a really amazing experience and she should go. So she went and she ended up, it's a circle of about 30 people yep. in a private residence and th- who's hosting me. Yeah. And she ends up sitting right across the circle from me mm. and the whole ceremony. I had this lady staring at me <laughs> And I'm going like, like, you know, you're, you're not doing your, what is this? What is this? This lady's staring at me. Um, (laughs) And after the ceremony, she comes up to talk and makes an appointment for a private session. You know, and I say, well, you know, I've got several days scheduled already, but um, when, when I get a place in the schedule, I'll, I'll phone you. Yeah. And I've got a, you know, I got a little burner track phone and stuff that I buy when I get to the United States so I can um, connect with everybody. And uh, a few days later, I am clear on my schedule and I give her a call. Yep. And at the moment, she's on her way into town with everyone from the retreat center Mm. to go dancing to Elijah and the Band of Light. Mm-hmm. And I say, oh, I well, I'm staying right up the hill from there. I'll yeah. I'll meet you there. Yeah. And so I meet her there. Mm-hmm. 
and we dance all night and her friends are leaving to go home and the band isn't finished yet and she doesn't want to stop dancing yeah. and neither do I. Yeah. And so I say, well, you know, it's no problem. I got a truck sitting in the parking lot. Um, when the band is, is done, I'll drive you home. <laughs> and so um, I'm driving her home and she says that, you know, she says she has this voice in her head. Yeah. And she sat down in the ceremony and I came in and there's the, you know, preliminary stuff before we get it going. And the cacao is cups are being passed around and things like that. And the voice in her head says, there he is, go get him. (laughs) So happy. Oh my God. Go get him. <laughs> and, and, you know, she quite literally had to do that because yeah. I didn't use my ceremonies to pick up the ladies. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I didn't use my ceremonies to get uh, partners. Right. And so I wouldn't have, you know, yeah. um, gone and gotten her. Yeah. So I drove her home and she asked me to stay. And I did. And I didn't do that either. Yeah. And we've been together ever since. Oh my god. And it's been a, a it's been a wild ride. Yeah. Her first visit down to Guatemala. Yeah. I mean, I I stayed with her about a week and a half. Yep. At the end of the uh my went up to Oregon and back yep. down and I I stayed with her about a week and a half at the end and then yep. um you know, it's getting close to Christmas. Everybody's doing pre-Christmas stuff. I'm not doing any ceremonies. I drive back to Guatemala. And about six months later, she came down to visit. Uh, We had been communicating on the internet um, and doing some processing work and stuff like that. And she came down to visit. And as she says, I was the happiest person on planet earth getting rid of her in the airport. (laughs) (laughs) And she was, well, that was interesting. I'm never going to do that again. (laughs) And so uh, we triggered a layer of really deep stuff Mm. in each other. Mm-hmm. And she flew back to the States and we continued to connect over the internet. And it was just obvious yeah. that we, each of us, we got a lot of work to do Yeah, and we have a huge connection. Mm. And so six months later, she was back <laughs> and the energy was very different. Mm. We had both moved a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the end of that visit was sort of like, um, why are you leaving? Yeah. <laughs> on on the on the one hand, why yeah. why why don't you just dump your ticket and stay? Yeah. yeah. And on the other side, there was an energy of you need to get out of here. Mm. And so we listened to that energy. Yeah. And she flew back and entered six months. There was a couple new people at the retreat center. She entered six months of one of the most profound trigger festivals Mm. I've ever been a part of. Yeah. 
something would get triggered, an issue would come up. Uh, often we could work, and that's when there really wasn't much of an internet here, but I could yeah. get into the internet cafe and yeah. uh, the voice was impossible. There wasn't the bandwidth, but yeah. typing, we could communicate back and I could help her down through the layers of it inside yeah. and she'd clear it and everything would lighten up. And in that six months, she never got more than 24 hours before the next major trigger. Wow. And at the end of that six months, she was obviously a completely transformed individual. Right. Had moved so much stuff. Right. Had, was beginning to, uh, energies were coming out of her hands. Yeah. Psychic tornadoes were coming out of her hands and running around cleaning the retreat center up. Shit like that. Right. Um, and um, then... Um, I was scheduled to go up to the United States uh, in the summer yep. to work with a group of videographers to make a, um, a video on the empath work that we'd been doing mm. with people who are uh, sponges for the density of others or the energies around them or something. Yeah. And so she agreed to meet me for that. Mm. And then what we would do is take a, um, we'd, we'd go, she, she came up, she flew in, um, to the East coast, got a rental car, yeah. um, picked me up, um, at a, at a airport. And we went a couple States away and, uh, to where we we're going to, you know, we did all the filming and stuff. And, um, then we decided, okay, we'll go to my storage area where I've got a truck in storage that hasn't been moved or started in 12 years. And we'll, we'll get it out and we'll do whatever it needs. And we'll go take a tour all the way to California from yes. Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And we'll do a lot of ceremonies. And if we survive that road trip, because you know how intense a road trip can be. Sure do. <laughs> if we survive that road trip, then on our way to Guatemala, we'll stop in Arizona and we'll take all of your stuff. You'll sell your truck. Yeah. We'll take um, your stuff and put whatever you want to take to Guatemala into the truck. Yeah. We'll put the rest of it in storage uh, and you'll clear yourself out of that life and drive with me to Guatemala. And that's what happened. So, and she's still here. <laughs> so, um, and we're looking forward to another few decades. Yes. And in this, this COVID energy that we're in now, mm. where there's this huge acceleration of yeah. light coming in, we're both getting into another really deep layer. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing, um, from two to four online ceremonies every week yeah. on, um, most of them on Zoom yeah. and I'm doing an, a, a whole lot of sessions all over the world. And mm. there is just one podcast after another coming in. It's quite, uh, it's, it's just been a lot of fun. Yep. And, uh, I'm basically being what I was trained to be, mm -hmm. um, which is a, um, a teacher. 
for people in the process of working with their density, their shadow, their loving what arises, their inner processing to make room for who they already are and then help them uh, connect with that and let it in. And um, all kinds of things related to that. And then, uh, you know, what actually led you to me, the cacao. Mm -hmm. Um, That came, I mean, when I got to Guatemala, Mm -hmm. what I knew about chocolate was called Hershey's. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And uh, Especially from Pennsylvania. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, actually never visited visited the factory, but lived only a few hours away from it. Yep. And um, I got connected to this amazing multidimensional energy. Mm. And when I figured out, I'm working with the spirit of chocolate. I did not know the term cacao at that time. Mm -hmm. And I had missed the early part of the raw foods Movement. I mean, I, I had been um, part owner of a natural foods restaurant yeah. in the um, 1970s. I'd been um, the, the manager of the herbal section in a health food store. But by the time the, like the big raw foods movement came along, I was off on the blank spots in other people's maps. I was way off the internet grid. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even an internet back then uh, yeah. to speak of. And I was doing all this cave exploring and mountain climbing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I missed the whole part of the raw foods movement. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get down to Guatemala and I start connecting to cacao. Yep. And um, she literally offers me this fun. And I said, yes. And a week and a half later, I had met a botanist on the boat taxi. Mm. Uh, people get around on the lake that you see behind me yep. with a boat taxis. Okay. And I ended up sitting next to a botanist who had a project in Central America mm. working with the biggest tree in the rainforest that drops this nut. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the nut is quite literally Central America's superfood. Mm-hmm. It's super nutritious, very high in available calcium. Yep. And in a, a corn beans diet, calcium is one of the things where there's a great deficiency of. Mm. It's also very high in protein, antioxidants, anti-inflammatory, mm-hmm. and you know, it's got, got all the amino acids the that you really need on a local indigenous type diet. Yep. But the local people don't eat it mm. because it's stigmatized. Oh. And if you eat Uhushte Maya Nut Ramon, mm-hmm. everyone knows you are too poor to have corn. Because it's like a, it's a survival food and only the poorest of the poor eat it. It's very much like in our cultures 200 years ago. If you ate whole wheat bread, everyone knows you are too poor to have the real white stuff Mm -hmm. that the rich folks got. Yep. And 
and and so you are literally labeling yourself in the lowest class. Yeah. Even though, um, well, as with whole wheat or with the um, the Mayan nut, mm-hmm. and and for those who are interested, you can get on the web and talk to the botanist. Her website is mayanutinstitute.org. And they're now selling that superfood. It comes out of the rainforest here Mm -hmm. in various places. It's it's amazing. Um, Barbara and I, my partner and I, we eat it every day. Yes. It's an excellent addition to smoothies, soups, Mm -hmm. stews. You can even sprinkle it on fruit, granola, you know, all of that sort of thing. Thing, yeah. whatever um you whatever you eat yeah and um I, i'll have some later today probably mixed in with some kraut mm. um some you know probiotic um good fermented uh, veggies yep and um her project is to get local people to eat it Hmm. biggest tree in the rainforest very common Mm -hmm. and drops all these nuts Mm -hmm. and the crazy thing about the nuts is they can sit in a sack Mm -hmm. on a dirt floor in a rainforest house Mm -hmm. tin roofed shack Mm -hmm. basically and Nothing eats them. Hmm. And in the rainforest, there's something that eats everything. <laughs> right. I have books that you can almost not read because there's holes all through them. <laughs> yeah. Why why aren't they why aren't they eaten? It's stigmatized. Wow. And even though, I mean, I've listened to people way up in the mountains in like Nicaragua. Yeah. Where in, they call it the troubles Mm. in the last few years where there was a civil war and communist um, rebels, insurgents, and literally between the banditos, the army... And the rebels, mm-hmm. it wasn't safe to leave town. You'd never come back. Yeah. And they literally hid in their little mountain community for five years. Mm. And some of the, I talked to a, some people in one community, they ate almost nothing but the Mayanut, the Ahushte. Mm. And there's about 50 local names and mm-hmm. Ahushte is the... Uh, local one around here and in that five years everybody was totally healthy and no one died i mean literally no health care right no going to the store right no nada for five years right because it was just too dangerous the army would pick you up and force you into the military yeah the banditos would take everything mm-hmm. or the rebels would decide that you weren't supporting them and kill you. Yeah. 
um, it, it was, you know, it's just too dangerous. Yeah. So in, incredibly amazing food. And I went with her on her project to visit a project site on the other side of the, actually, um, da, 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 you see that volcano right there? Yep. <laughs> on the other side of that volcano, down across the valley and up into the rainforest mountains on the other side of that volcano, I went to visit a little community mm-hmm. where they had been using this nut mm-hmm. in their diet yep. for about five years. And I listened to the women in the community say when, you know, we, we didn't eat it, yeah. but this lady, this um, Erica Volman mm-hmm. in her project got us to eat it. And it takes years mm-hmm. to change a culture yeah, because tradition is so strong, but got them to eat it. And the ladies said, we got healthier. Our birth weights went up. The children were healthier. And now, five years later, the Uhushte babies are the smartest children in school. And the community, and, and now, this is 15 years ago. Yeah. Now, the community is sending those Uhushte babies mm-hmm. college. They're the first people in the community mm-hmm. to go on out. Yeah. And so I visited the community yeah. with, with her mm-hmm. and the cacao spirit had been, you know, for that week and a half or so had been yammering at me, <laughs> like get on the web, da 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 da. And so, you know, you're, just open up Google images and you see what cacao looks like. And on the walk, it's the, the community is 45 minutes walk up into the rainforest mountains from, you know, you, you go by buses and then you get on pickup trucks up side roads and, and then 45 minutes walk in the heat and, um, you know, dripping, soaking wet. And I saw cacao on the walk in, Mm-hmm. And I saw the seeds drying in people's yards. Mm-hmm. So I, um, um, after we had finished everything with the, um, the botanist and getting to know her project and visiting how the community was starting to produce it, not only for their own use, but for sale. Yeah. And, um, and talk about how, how it had helped them. Um, I asked the people in the community if they would sell me some of their chocolate Yeah. because, you know, I, I'd already talked to the cacao spirit and she basically said, yup, sent you get some. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, why do you think you're here? Right. Right. Um, and I, um, they didn't have any, mm. but they said, if you come back in a week, we'll have some made for you. How much do you want? Okay. And so a week later, it's about five hours from here wow. on the buses and the side roads and the, the walking. And a, a week later, I got five pounds mm. and brought it back here. Yeah. And the next morning, I made a cup. Mm-hmm. And in about an hour, I rang up the cacao 
spirit. And I said, you know, okay, I have one of this planet's most important medicine plants, magic plants, teachers, facilitators running around in my body. Mm. And it doesn't work like any medicine plant I've ever had. Yeah. And, you know, like a lot of people, I've been with the shamans from indigenous psychedelic using cultures yeah. from North America to South America. Yeah. And this was different. Mm. And it wasn't taking me on a trip. Yeah. In fact, in a sense, it wasn't really doing anything, but the doors were open and it was easier to connect. Mm. And as I found out later to connect to whatever I wanted to connect to. Mm. And I mean, the, when I really got that message was I bought a new camera, yeah. you know, and it's a, it's a little point and shoot camera, not one of the big, um, yeah. uh, uh, DSL, um, cameras, yeah. but it, but it has all kinds of settings and controls on it. Yep. And the manual that came with it was a half an inch thick. Yeah. You know, it's, it's only this yeah. big, but it's still right. half an inch thick. Yeah. And I drank a cup of cacao yep. and sat down to go through the manual to learn all the controls because of course the camera's designed that you can use it on auto hmm. and just point and shoot and you don't have to know anything. Yeah. But you also can set it so that you can control all the kinds of functions like you can with a, um, a more, with, with a, a better camera. Yeah. And what I realized was I could study this manual. Mm -hmm. I could retain all the important stuff mm -hmm. and remember it far better with the cacao in my system. Mm. I could learn. all of the little knobs and buttons and menus on this device. Yeah. Far better with the cacao in my system. Mm. And so I, I ended up, I was drinking it almost every day. Yeah. Doing the meditations that I was doing and engaging in the private sessions that I was doing. And the cacao spirit kept telling me, you know, like, get on the web. Mm. Learn. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, you are going to become an international expert on chocolate. You're going to need to know commodities markets. Yeah. Um, because like sugar and coffee, yeah. cacao is it's a commodity yeah. and it's traded. The the price goes up, up and down, um, two to six dollars on a regular basis it's you know it's yeah. it's like all of that yeah and you're gonna have to know commercial chocolate making you're gonna have to know and all of the stuff that's already out there the bean to bar stuff yeah the people making chocolate the way it was made 200 years ago and producing yeah. all of these uh high-end six dollar bars that you find in the health food store yeah and you're gonna have to know all about the raw food stuff yeah it's out there and you're gonna have to and not only know all of that, you're going to have to understand the history and the indigenous stuff. Mm. And you're going to have to understand all the new stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, oh, well, you know, this is, <laughs> this is so obvious yeah. that this is an, uh, 
this is a a medicine plant on the level of any other medicine plant out there. Yeah. It is so obvious there are at least a dozen other people doing the same thing I'm doing right now. And some of them know how to do websites and all of this shit. And so I don't, you know, I I, I don't need to worry about it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, this, it's not my job. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have fun with my cacao and I'm going to go get some more when I run out and, and you know, um, and let other people have all the work. And so here it is six months later. Yep. And I'm already starting to use it with other people, and they're having profound um, things. I'm continuing my half-hearted research on the web, (laughs) and I'm realizing there is nothing Mm. out there. I am the only one on the planet that knows this, except for some indigenous people. And um, I'm being asked to help cacao move into the western world and Mm. she says yeah she calls herself the food for the shift wow and i'm i'm realizing that this is in my lap yeah so i you know i get on the web and i find that you can buy a website template yeah (laughs) that will that will give you a a bunch of different patterns and you pick one and then you start (laughs) filling it in. Yep. And, um, I mean, this is, this is way before Weebly or Squarespace or the, the other things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this is, is 2004. Yeah. Um, three, actually the end of three. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at these templates and they have a maximum of five pages. And I go, wait a minute. The Design for my head, I've already got 10 pages. Yeah. <laughs> um, what am I going to do? So I figured out that I could use a blog format. Mm. And, you know, off to the right of the blog format, they list all of the different years and months. Mm-hmm. And with one month all of your blogs will be right there on the right, just like the pages of the website. Mm-hmm. If you have two months, you lose some of it. Yeah. Because only one month is going to be there, the yeah. latest month. And I realized if I dated my pages yeah. as if they are blog posts, yeah. if I have one page per day, I got a 31-page website. Ah. <laughs> and at different times... Yeah. I, I can have even more pages than that. Right. And so that's what I did. And it's now ceremonialcacao.blogspot.com. Yeah. And I quit revising it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I used to redate everything. Yeah. Every year or so. But so many people were using the links mm-hmm. that if I redated it, the links no longer work. Right. And so the I, I keep revising the website. Um, actually, it got... Uh, several revisions made last week mm. but it's still dated as 2012 um and and people go have you know is there anything new since then yeah. i said that this is it right it's new and and now there's um the um the guatemalan post office mm-hmm. closed for two weeks mm. in 2016 mm. and it hasn't reopened yeah oh 
Okay. Yeah, there, there's no post office here. Wow. So we literally were shipping cacao out. We had a 3000 US dollar postage bill per week. Oh. We were shipping that much cacao. Wow. Out of Guatemala. And then the post office closed. Yeah. And, you know, we air freighted some of it out. And eventually we had that we got a business partner yeah. and we got a, a full on e-commerce website, which is keithscacao.com. Yeah. And we have a warehouse in Belgium, mm. one in the United States, one in Australia. And we ship it all over the world now. Yeah. So um, this this week we have um, about three thousand pounds of cacao headed for Belgium. And finding a flight out of here in the middle of COVID <laughs> is right. It's really crazy. Yeah. But but we're doing it. Yes. Um, three thousand pounds. Yep. That's phenomenal. <laughs> so we're still making cacao mm -hmm. because chocolate is technically food. Yeah. I'm allowed by the Guatemalan government to stay open as a business. Yes. And so um, I'm literally just about the only business in town mm -hmm. that is still employing local people right and even even when we haven't had work for them to do mm -hmm. uh, in periods of time when things have been too shut down here mm -hmm. and we can't get the cacao ground and things mm -hmm. we're, we still we've been paying them every every week um that is so nice <laughs> and We've now got, uh, because this town is based on tourist traffic, mm. this big spiritual tourism here, mm. um, half a dozen major yoga centers mm. in town. Yeah. And it's, it's all shut down now. Yeah. So um, the, the income of the town, I mean, we, we literally, we support 20 families yeah. in this town between the workers and the people who peel our cacao. Yeah. Our cacao is, we, we don't do it the easy way. Yeah. Uh, we don't use machines. Mm -hmm. We hand peel it. So every bean gets looked at actually several times mm -hmm. and we throw away the crappy stuff. Yeah. And we, I, I make absolutely the best high vibrational chocolate that I know how to make. If I knew how to make it better, we'd be doing it. Yeah. And we recently took a whole bunch of our competitors, like about 15 of them. Yeah. And sent them to the lab. Yeah. To to an independent chemical analysis lab. Mm. Because, you know, we say and other people tell us, I, I've tried everybody's cacao. Yours is so much superior, blah, blah, blah. We sent it to the lab and we found out. Yeah. And of competitors analyzed from all over the world, from the Peruvian cacao, from the, the other cacao made here in this town, um, other stuff. Um our nearest competitor had about 65% per weight of the active ingredients we had. And most everybody had five to six times as much caffeine. Wow. Which, if you're not 
a heavy caffeine user. Yeah. I call it too buzzy, no focus. Yes. That's so, me after smelling coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that caffeine energy yeah. in the cacao, if you're not a three, four cup of coffee a day drinker, yeah. really gets in the way of the focus. Yeah. Because although cacao would be classed as a stimulant, yeah. people that have any inclination to meditation, inner work, focus, creativity, uh, productive workplace focus, they go deeper yeah. and more centered within. And things are um, automatically prioritized. Mm. Mm-hmm. You, you have some cacao in the morning mm-hmm. and your whole day is automatically prioritized. You can get more done yep. um, with a whole lot less stress. You're more productive. Mm-hmm. You can connect, you know, people that need to innovate yep. can do that. Executives that need to make decisions. Yep. Um, they, they're, they're on. Yeah. Um, and we've been, f- discovering all these other things it started you know with the the using it in my personal sessions and with uh cacao ceremonies and stuff and then it turned into um cacao hiking Mm. where you have so much more appreciation yes the even the bird songs Mm. and the pattern of leaves Mm -hmm. connects with you you connect to so much more beauty that was there all the time yeah. But you input on that level yeah. with a, a kind of a heightened awareness that is actually a deeper focus. Mm-hmm. And then it went into chocolate breath work, chocolate yoga, mm-hmm. chocolate kirtan, chocolate sound healing, um, taking all of those things to another level. Mm-hmm. And it, it became here in this little town in San Marcos, cacao and mm-hmm. cacao and whatever you do. Yes. Um, and then we s- started seeing what it did with creative people, mm. artists of all kinds. Take this. They're more productive. They're more connected. They're more creative. They have more fun. And they connect to whatever level of reality they're getting their um, creativity from. Yeah. And they tell us it's amazing. Yeah. And then it started moving into sports mm-hmm. and people who work out. Yep. And I had, had people writing me saying, um, I had a cup of your cacao. I went to the gym. I put 15% more weight on the machine. Mm-hmm. And I did more sets with more reps in each set. Yep. And I had this unique knowing when before... My little yammer, yammer, inner liar would get in the way and tell me to quit. Yes. I knew the difference Mm -hmm. between that voice and the true voice of my body that said, now is the time to start or you're going to have, um, you know, more of a recovery time. Yeah. And that sort of thing. Now is the ideal time um, 
to quit or to, to change to another thing. Yeah. And they said things like, things that I used to hate, the treadmill and the exercise bike. Yeah. I didn't have boredom anymore. Yeah. I could get on and do my time yeah. on those um, aerobic thing. Yeah. Um, you know, if they weren't going out and running or doing something like that. Yeah. And I could get more work done. And I knew I, I was tuned into my body. Yeah rather than into the um, the resistance thing. We, we had people tell me, your cacao has replaced every single supplement I took for energy and motivation yep. before I went into a, a, a full-on training program. Yep, agreed. You know, for for mm -hmm. some sort of professional level um, yeah. sports. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everything from that all the way on up to ultra marathoners who use it. Yeah. And, um, and a, a number of triathlon people. Yeah. Use it. Totally. Um, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's become a lot of fun yeah. to produce this major connection and partnership facilitator yes. for whatever people want to connect to, whatever their excitement is. Yeah. That's, and yeah, that's been my experience with it. So it's so funny because before I had cacao, I think I was very intellectual, analytical, logistical, and then I'll actually show you the first day I had, so I had cacao in, um, in Canada a few times. And the first time I had it at home, it was like, sit down and draw. So I drew and colored this ganache, this ganache, but like uh. the first thing that I wish everyone could see it, but if you know me, like that is not something that I would just sit down and do. Like it was just kind of, but it was so obvious. Like, oh, today you're going to draw and you're going to color and that's, that's it. And I was just kind of like, okay. And it like taps you into this different part of you. And then on the athlete part, I'm training for the Boston marathon and it's yes. the best pre-workout pre I've ever had. Like the other day I had exactly what you were just saying where I went for my run and running is one of my favorite things in the world. But my mind will say, you're a little tired today. There's some pollen. Let's just do a mile. And recently I've been really noticing, absolutely not. Like I'll have my cacao and then it helps me discern, okay, that's the small, that's the small me. That's not who I am. I'm thriving. I'm going to run this six miles. Yes. So I you you know yeah. which voice yes. you're listening to. You know what yes. part of you it's coming from. Yes. And you you don't have to fight the voice mm. that you don't want to listen to. Mm -hmm. You simply make a different choice. Yes. You can yeah. hear it. Yep. Oh, yes. You can listen to it, mm -hmm. but you don't have to struggle with it. Yes. You can listen to the other voices and make your own choice. Yes. And um, that was the magic. One of the first things I learned about cacao, it, chocolate brings the door, but doesn't push you through it. Mm -hmm. In other words, you can hear these different voices about going for a run and you're not pushed into which one to choose. Yeah. It's, it's yours. Yep. And, and whatever you choose, even if you choose to stay home on the sofa and watch videos, yeah the cacao will totally support you in yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I learned, it will also help you over time 
understand where these voices come from, what parts of you they represent, and if you're interested, help you in healing them, in processing them. Yep. Help you in, you know, they can feel heard and then they can transform yep. and come more into alignment with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like those voices are like, okay, it's like, this is how I've been feeling the past, like, especially a few days, actually. It's kind of like they're like, okay, you're right. I'm ready to, I'm, I'm ready to come over there now. <laughs> like, it's just like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come over there. Like the smaller thoughts are like kind of just yes. like easing into the tide and they're just like, okay, all right, all right, all right. And, and there's no, nobody's forced. Right. Nobody's controlled. Mm-hmm. It's, to me, it's more like this voice is offered. Yeah. Would you like a promotion to where we'll both have more fun? Yes. Here, take a look at the new job you're being offered mm-hmm. and decide for yourself. Yep. Yep. If you want to join something else, decide for yourself. Mm-hmm. And and there's no you you're not parenting. Yeah. You're actually empowering. Yeah. These voices that have been against you in a mm-hmm. sense. Yep. Telling you to stop. Yep. And asking them to join something else and have more fun. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for them to do that when, when they do not feel coerced, when they don't feel like you are trying to get them to shut up and get rid of them and annihilate them and kill them, you know, what? Yeah. metaphorically. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't go into a battle uh, when, when you are out there mm-hmm. running. Yep. You don't go into a battle with these voices. Right. You're able to discern mm-hmm. the deeper truth about your body in that day, what you're truly ready for, mm-hmm. and what will be to your greatest benefit mm-hmm. in building yourself mm-hmm. in a in a training program. Yep. And I, I've had I've had so many people tell me that. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they're doing something, um, you know, um, one of the first people that used it, um, was just riding a track bike around in a circle yeah. <laughs> on a, in a, in a velodrome. Yeah. And that, that was their joy. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, I, a, another interesting story one of the first times I really realized the, um, the value here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can't change it. This is, uh, this is one of my main jobs in this community is that <laughs> I change money for the little kids. Oh, that's so cute. I've been doing it for 17 years yep. and they they get especially coins there's yep. no money changer no bank will yep. take a coin yep. so if you come here with a coin from um the US or Mexico or something it's just weight in your pocket it's right. worthless yep. so the kids end up with it the kids bring it to me and i give them cash but that that happened to be a um a Costa Rican bill oh. Yep. And since I'm not going to Costa Rica anymore, I don't change Costa Rican money anymore. So we have to tell them no. Yep. But uh, 
that's really key. Uh-huh. Yeah, for anyone who can't, you guys won't be able to see this as you're listening, but all of a sudden Keith's just holding like a $2 Costa Rican bill. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, we can't do this one. <laughs> that's so cute. So, I mean, I, I walk into town and adults say hi to me Yeah. because I changed, I gave them Tienda money <laughs> when they were children. That's so nice. I love that. And um, I mean, this is serious. Yeah. Um, I flew to the U.S. a while back to, to go to a conference. Yep. And I took my big container of U.S. cash. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it caused all sorts of alarms going through security. I mean, <laughs> I had this huge amount of metal with me. Right. <laughs> and then they wanted to look at it. Yep. But I, I took it in and put it through a coin machine. Mm-hmm. And it was... 265 US dollars mm-hmm. from a year and a half. Yeah. That's um that is a lot of little kids yes. at the door. Yes. With, with a, a small handful each. Oh cute. <laughs> so, I love uh, that. <laughs> so I mean I mean literally we we stop sessions. We mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll leave a, a ceremony. I got 40 people on the porch and I'll we, we go out and or, or somebody will go out and bring it in and I'll change it. And, uh, <laughs> yes. It's just, so you know, it's so good. see this little community when I'm in mm-hmm. where I am, when, when I got here, I was four years after the road and the electricity got here. Mm. There was, there was no road. Yeah. So all that was very new. Yeah. And my early role in this community was as the ambulance driver. Yeah. There was none of the communities on this side of the lake had an ambulance. Yeah. And so I kept a mattress in the back of the pickup truck, you know, Mm -hmm. with its cap. Yeah. And I kept the truck gassed up and I kept my door chained open a few inches on a rock. Mm-hmm. It was also good for the cat to come in and out yeah. <laughs> because at three in the morning, there would be a knock on the door mm-hmm. and I would need to take someone to the hospital. Yeah. Um, and quite often, I mean, when you go to the hospital mm-hmm. with a nine year old girl who has broken a leg, mm. She has a compound fracture of her femur, you know, between the hip and the knee. Yep. And the hospital is going to reset that fracture without any pain medication at all. Wow. I know. I like can't even imagine the femur in particular. I'm like, oh my god! Like, <laughs> I, I can't. And I, I'm I'm talking about an overlapped. Oh my god! Compound femur fracture. No. <laughs> and the hospital is literally going to reset it with no pain medication because they don't have any. Yeah. And. I go to the pharmacy with a, a note from the doctor and I buy it. Yeah. So I have to have, you know, and, and you yeah. can under such circumstances, yeah. uh, I can walk into a pharmacy and get morphine. Yeah. Um, they're going to make a phone call. Yeah. Um, but I can do it. Yeah. And um, 
So, and I, I, I presently have morphine here and, you know, it's absolutely illegal, Yeah. but, um, I've, I've got some, yeah. um, and it's, um, it helps. Yeah. I, I, I mean, one trip to the hospital, I had a baby die leaning against my arm. Mm. So, you know, it's yeah. just, yeah. it's, it's big time. Now, now because of NGOs, there is an ambulance to serve the, the community mm -hmm. here. But, you know, at night, there's no boats running on the lake. Yeah. You can't get to a town and then there's no buses to get up to the hospital. Yeah. And so it's it's get in the back of the truck and um, and go. And if it's raining, I've driven my truck through a roaring river going across the road. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, where you just right. have to sort of tune in and ask yeah. the spirits. Yeah. If it's going to work. Yeah. yeah. Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and drive in into the river and mm -hmm. um, bounce over the boulders. And yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it, it's an adventure. Yes. So good. So good. And, wow. and that, now we've got a um, BB because of the, uh, the collapse in tourism here yeah. as in everywhere else, we've got a GoFundMe mm. um, Keys Cacao site okay. that is um, where we are getting money so I can continue this work. Yes. I mean, the uh, local people do not have a savings account. Yeah. Right. What comes in goes out. Right. Right. And um, like the ladies who do our peeling, mm -hmm. they ask us to only be paid every couple of weeks mm -hmm. so that when money comes in, they have enough for something special. Mm -hmm. You know, if they've got to buy a new refrigerator. Yeah. And there's only a little bit of money coming in. They can never save enough. Yeah. And, and literally, they'll go without a refrigerator for a year or two. Wow. Because they just simply can't get one. Yeah. So we want to have this fund to yeah. be able to handle these emergencies when someone has to go to the doctor and there's no money. Yeah. And the business has sent a number of people and women to college yeah. where it, the that woman is the first person in her family mm -hmm. to ever leave town and and get a higher education yeah and i and i'm and you have to understand how it is mm -hmm. if if you're going to do that if you're going to to pay not only for the tuition and the books and stuff mm -hmm. the first thing you have to do is send the lady and three of her friends yeah. to a nearby town mm -hmm. to buy clothes. Mm. She has no clothes. Yeah. She has her traditional indigenous clothing. Yeah. She has nothing yeah. to go to a university in. Mm. And she probably has no backpack yeah. wow. or any of that. And so you have to send, you have to pay for her and her girlfriends to go and buy clothes. Wow. Shoes. She has no shoes to, to go to school in. And, and so that's all part of it mm -hmm. that the, you know, it, 
what it comes out of my pocket. Yeah. But, but we, we do that. Yeah. That's just icing on the cake to you having the best cacao ever. <laughs> the most high vibe, delicious cacao. It's like the story behind it too, right? Like all of this, the whole picture, that's why it's so yeah. important. Well, here you, you don't have workers. You yeah. have family. Yeah. Mm. And so you are part of the family. Yeah. And you you get invited to Christmas dinners and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And 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 things like that. You're part of the family. Yeah. And so you are part of the support system in yeah. in the emergencies. Yeah. And you, you know, and besides the little simple stuff of paid time off from work yeah. to go to the doctor. Yeah. Um you know or or to take um to take the mom and the child of somebody in your family yeah. um, to the doctor, you've got to do these things. Yeah. There's just. Absolutely. Yeah. It's part of it. You, yeah. you, you can't just be an employer right. and provide a wage for yeah. a job that's done. It, yeah. there, it's far more than that. Yeah. And, you know, we do things like we hire a, an English teacher. Yep. So that our workers go um, every week to an English lesson, mm-hmm. oh. and because they they want to learn, yeah. um, and it's their third language yeah. besides their the language that they they start with the indigenous uh, here. It's uh, the Mayan language called Quechicel. Okay, and then usually beginning in school, mm-hmm. they learn a simplified version of Spanish. Correct. And now many of them are interested in learning English mm. because that's the way you can interface with most of the tourists. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Wow. And, uh, so, so yeah, there's a few good English speakers here. Yeah. And I taught them. Oh, that is we, so we, amazing. We, we, you know, in communicating, we yeah. would say everything. Yeah. Three different related ways. Yep. And then we do lots of games. Yeah. The bitter butter is better. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, um, um, play things yeah. like that. Yeah. And when their English got to be good enough, you can do um, jokes and sayings. Mm. Mm-hmm. That that um, you know, a, a joke is the hardest thing to understand in a foreign language. Yeah, because it's not it's not lineal. Right. It's not generally it's not lit- literal. Yeah. And but you can start playing with that. Yeah. And and playing with with puns. Yep. And so things good. things like that. So good. So good. Okay. So. All, Jump in. All, I, there's just so much good stuff. <laughs> it's just like I'm very grateful for you and Kisuke Cow and everything you're doing the way you're doing it because, like I said, it's just you know it's just this cumulative of 360 entity that it's become. It's not just it's not just linear, right? It's not just shipping 3,000 pounds of cacao to Belgium. It's it's this story. It's the spirit. It's this whole. And I mean, it's changed my life very yes. deeply. So and I'm. You yeah. know, basically, I I volunteered and 
I'm, I'm working in service mm-hmm. to a plant spirit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, mean, I remember when I got started, it was, um, well, you can make chocolate any way you want to. Yeah. You know, I was getting into all of the different ways that were out there. I was doing major internet research yep. and um, talking to um, local people and yep. little cacao factories and stuff here in Guatemala mm-hmm. and get all these different ways. And, and she was going like, well, you can, you know, you can make it any way you want. Yeah. And um, I said, well, I what I want to produce is the highest energy vibration because then I was mostly focused on the spiritual use and wasn't really into like using it to uh, run a marathon. Right. <laughs> I, I wasn't, um, yeah. I didn't really understand all that yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just beginning, you know, I was using it for hiking and stuff. Yeah. You know, you go, yep. the, the, the mountain right behind town mm-hmm. is about um, a little over 4,000 feet higher yeah. than town so yeah. that's a good walk yeah um if you're going to go all the way yeah and there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of beautiful little side valleys and uh you can walk up a ridge and look down and see a waterfall below yeah. you on each side you know oh. and and um yes go into um get up into the what would be um botanically cloud forest mm-hmm. um where the there are epiphytes hanging all over the trees and uh from cactuses to orchids um mm-hmm. all over and um beautiful um so um she's like okay i wanted to make the highest energy cacao possible and basically what I found out was I was, you know, the shamans for thousands of years, they figured out how to do it. Yeah. They didn't consume raw cacao. Right. They understood that a light toasting yeah. was better for the human body. Mm. And then, um, you know, almost all the commercial cacao these days is processed through machines. Yeah. And for the machines to work well, it has to be heavily roasted. Mm. And, you know, we, we get it in here and, and try it, and it tastes burnt. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not my preference. Yeah. And, and so it became, well, um, I want to figure out how to produce the highest energy chocolate I can, mm-hmm. given that we're not using a stone mortar and pestle called yeah. a matate you know we're not doing that yeah we're we're grinding it in a diesel powered um mill yeah um you know and and we grind almost 500 pounds at a time right so um yeah yeah and i i i started out grinding it in a hand mill <laughs> and it then you're like well <laughs> my my worker would come over and we would take off our t-shirts yep. and in three hours we could put five pounds through a hand cranked mill that mm-hmm. i'd specially modified for grinding fine yeah put it through the mill three times yep. oh my God. in you, you know yeah. um yeah. and i'd have five pounds of cacao that i had spent a couple hours roasting and peeling the day before yeah 
now now you've got three thousand pounds going out on the reg, so you can't yep. really do that. Anymore. Yep, and then uh, <laughs> so that sort of thing is necessary. Mm-hmm. But even in all of that, yeah, uh, the, the cacao has been a wonderful journey and a huge facilitator, mm-hmm. and I'm delighted to be a provider and you know we've got 35 international competitors now mm-hmm. every single one of whom has lifted stuff right off our website mm-hmm. and they use it for themselves yep <laughs> uh, no, no exceptions yeah um but then you know as they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery totally um <laughs> and we I, I'm, I'm just really excited to be serving a plant spirit medicine mm-hmm. that referred to herself as the food for the shift. Food for the um, shift. Yeah. And as a, a facilitator mm-hmm. for the the consciousness, the creativity and, and whatever people are excited about. Yeah. And we're we're now watching it mm-hmm. just begin to move into the business world. Yeah. I mean when people do a you know, when they've got a, a focused group or a brainstorming session mm-hmm. or they're going to all get together and decide how to go on a project, if everybody has a cup of this cacao, mm-hmm. the level of individual agendas, yeah. ego or otherwise, goes down. Yeah. And people are able to join a synergy mm-hmm. instead of everybody pushing their personal two cents worth. Yeah. People are able to join a synergy mm-hmm. and everything gets prioritized mm-hmm. automatically. The group doesn't spend a lot of time on something that is, is basically irrelevant. Yeah. And a consensus emerges that actually comes from a higher level. Mm. And not only that, but everybody is in alignment with whatever consensus comes out. Mm. So you don't have the people with the the resentment Mm. or the, I didn't get my way and now I'm going to engage in self-sabotage or I'm not going to be fully committed or something. Right. Um, so whether it's a corporate team building experience, whether it's a, a, a you know, a brainstorming session, yeah. whether it's a, a, a planning session or whether it is a, you know, an ordinary uh, business meeting, yeah. everybody is able to come together mm-hmm. in a kind of a greater synergy yeah. that is based in the good of everybody involved. Mm-hmm. You know, what is really going to work for the business? Yeah. And um, it's, it's, I mean, I, I hear on a regular basis how amazing it is yeah. that the, the people who are always the agenda problem, yeah. who are promoting their own angle yeah. rather than really joining, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot less of that. That's refreshing. <laughs> and and not only that, but the consensus that does emerge ends up in the long time, a long term, as working. Yeah. 
you know, even if it gets modified later or all yeah. those kinds of things, which is, yeah. you know, in, in normal. Yeah. But um, it, to me, that's huge because yeah. it it is a, it profoundly affects the productivity and the bottom line of the business. Yeah. And so we're, we'd like to head in the direction where businesses provide cacao in the mm. way they do coffee and tea. Yes. Oh, because, I was about um, that, working at that business. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, coffee stimulates everyone. But yeah. if, if, you've, if you've been in a business, yeah. coffee is an energy of aggression. Yeah. And it fosters the competition. Yeah. And okay, so you need that energy in a business environment. You need to win. Yeah. But inside the business, that kind of uh, the the low vibe, the backbiting, the competition, mm-hmm. the factions, the one upmanship are are hugely yeah. impact the, the productivity. Yes. And and the the bottom line, yeah. And the competitiveness, yeah, of the business. Mm-hmm. And not only that, what what I see because I do some what I think would be called business shamanism, mm-hmm. energy work to help people align with um, the what they're trying to manifest in yeah. taking ideas um, into. Um, business models and then actually getting them out. I work with those energies a lot yeah. of with, with people needing to get other things in alignment and mm-hmm. get connected to energies that are in the way yeah. of what they're doing, whether mm-hmm. those energies are inside or outside. Yeah. And uh, um, with cacao, it's a lot easier Mm-hmm. to align inside and move whatever internal energies you have that are no different in the business than that little yeah 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 after you've run a mile and it's giving you all of the reasons that you need to quit yep. or whatever yep <laughs> um and isn't your body consciousness and your higher knowing as a runner speaking to you yeah. It's 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 a, a different voice. Yeah. Um and and it's no different in the business world. Yeah. Or um artists say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the part of them that will distract them or get them to turn around or get them to mm. you, you know um I'll finish this painting later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. That'll that'll get in the way. Yeah. Um, or they'll get into spending a whole lot of time on something that then doesn't go anywhere or mm. doesn't work or they just have to redo it. Yeah. Um, I, I remember uh, a while back someone uh, working on a painting Yeah. and there was a particular part of the painting where they wanted the energy just right. And they painted it and repainted it and repainted it and we're getting the the azure blue just just exactly and I said hey hey you know I'll pour you a cup of cacao yeah. and boom bada boom the perfect 
I in the symbol, everything was, was just, was perfect. Yeah. And, um, they were, um, they were really pleased with it. And what came through was better than what they were originally imagining. Mm -hmm. It evolved as, you know, things do in, in spontaneity. Yes. The, the creation, the flow of the universe yep. brings you something better than you are imagining mm-hmm. and you recognize it when it arrives. Yes. And cacao makes that a whole lot easier as you've noticed with um, your work. Everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've, we, we, we sell it to coders. Yes. Yes. Who, I mean, I remember years, years ago, a few years back, I got a, um, uh, an email from a guy mm-hmm. that said, um, you know, I want to order some more of your cacao because I'm able to balance in my brain all of the different parts of the software. Mm-hmm. And when I write a line of code, I know how it's going to affect mm-hmm. each of these other parts of the software. Mm-hmm. So I write better code. It has a whole less problems, and I just got a fifty thousand raise. I mean, and it's and it's because of the cacao. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, and I hear things uh, with with people um tell me that someone else in the office brings them mm-hmm. some code, yeah, and says I can't figure out what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And they just start looking at it, and the problem jumps out. Mm. Yeah. And they don't know how. Yeah. They knew. Yeah. But as as we I mean we we call cacao a connection and partnership facilitator. Yeah. So somehow they're able to be connected to knowing. Yeah. And just look down, I mean, you know, hundreds of lines of code, and boom, there it is. And 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 they know. Yeah. Door is open. And they went through it. Yep. 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 <laughs> and uh, I, I remember getting getting a post from someone who said, you know, I've I've been doing this in the office. Yeah. And I'm terrified. Yeah. That my boss as a coder, he yeah. said, I'm terrified. I am so good at this. I'm terrified that my boss is going to reassign me yep. to fixing everyone else's code, <laughs> which, which to him was a nightmare because it wasn't as fun right. as, as doing his own code. Right. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to be fixing everyone yeah. else's right. shoddy coding. <laughs> he wanted to be doing his own, you know, he didn't want to get reassigned to that. And he's totally, said, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but, he, but he was, was able to help people who got mm-hmm. stuck and just couldn't figure out where yeah. the glitch, was. you know, they, yeah. they, they, you know, code that gets to the place where you're actually running it. Yeah. Um, modeling it and, and, um, something isn't working. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's a good, you know, analogy for everything that we've been saying with how cacao will give you the clarity that like, A, you might be looking for, or B, that you might not have even known you needed. 
So, yes. all right, Keith, we are coming up on three hours here, casual. <laughs> so before we start to wrap up, is there anything final that you wanted to leave us off with? I feel like I just got the, all, so much wisdom in, in all of this time. But is there anything else you feel called to leave us with or to tell us before we wrap this up? Want to change your life? Yes. Close your eyes. Okay. Now, um, about four, four and a half years ago, mm-hmm. we put up, uh, I, I was having so much fun playing with a new technique mm-hmm. that we hired a videographer mm-hmm. to produce a video and uh, put it up on YouTube. And it's called The Art of Ascension. And the idea behind it is, is that the structure of creation is, as the quantum physicists have been talking about since the 1940s, is that there are a number of parallel universes. So there's a you in basically an infinite number of parallel universes who is just as valid as this you. But... different. And some of them are ever so slightly different. And some of them are majorly different. And so I'm literally working with your future self from your highest probable future and your higher self. And you're going to ask your future self and your higher self to bring a you from a parallel reality who is almost identical but whose body physically and mind mentally and and emotionally are in a more advanced place with running. Mm. Physical, mental, and emotional. I mean, literally a different physical body that you will discover next time that you go out running. And and you might even feel it right here. You'll, you'll definitely feel the difference emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so this, you from a parallel reality is going to come and sit to your left right next to you. And I believe you'll be able to sort of sense a presence of some kind there. Mm -hmm. You might feel the difference energetically because that's your left is your metaphorical, your receptive side. Mm -hmm. And you might be able to, feel it sort of touching you energetically in some way. Now, what I want you to do is to lean to your left, blend with her, and then come back to center as her. (laughs) Now come back and feel the difference. It's so exciting. (laughs) Wow. Now, I have done this with athletes, with circus performers, Mm -hmm. and and had them shift and do, and and yoga people Mm -hmm. who have been trying to do an asana and can't shift, and they can do something they have never, ever done in their life can do a handstand 
mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a circus performer type person can do a handstand or can end an injury instantly. Now, in the beginning, there's a lot of doubt and not everyone can do that. But, you know, I've watched people drop chronic diseases that they've been under medical treatment for five decades for and they're gone in three seconds. People with major spinal disc degeneration where they cannot bend over further than their touch more than their knees. Mm -hmm. And three seconds later, they bend down and wrap their entire hand around their foot. You know, and this is this is X-ray verified major spinal disc degeneration. They're looking at serious disc fusion in the hospital and they go back and they get scanned and they get x-rayed and there's no disc degeneration at all. They shift to a parallel reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bashar, a lot of people's favorite channeled extraterrestrial calls this the 13th step. Mm. You know, the 12-step Alcoholics Anonymous program, the 13th step is where you shift to a parallel reality where you're not an alcoholic. You remember that you were, yeah, but you have no craving to drink because in right. that universe you aren't a drinker. Right. Now, just take a minute okay. and feel your body physically. It's different, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Muscles are different. Yeah. And there is an alignment of your your consciousness uh, your mental and you know the all the mental and emotional stuff mm-hmm. that that go with being a runner yeah a major component they're different it's just like nothing but fun like it's so exciting like yes it's just so exciting period no like all right their butts like it's just like i'm so excited to run and now next to you mm-hmm. is an upgrade from this. Okay. Lean over, get her, and come okay. back. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it feels so good that it's like almost like, wow. And so this is a li- this is kind of like a, a simple way we're doing it now. It's a little yeah. bit different than the way that's on the on the video. Yeah. But um, uh, the video is intended to be a description of the technique, uh, where it comes from, how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, talking about it a little bit from the quantum level as well as the way other people do it mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. and the kind of material they put out about it. Um, talk about it the way Seth talked about it in the 1970s, some, you know, and then take people through it and then interviews with a lot of people who have been doing this mm-hmm. and l- learning how to um, literally, I- I've seen people walk up the steps to my porch with a funny look on their face yeah. and they go, oh my God, reality is plastic. I change it all the time they're jumping 30 to 50 times a day. You're, you're talking with someone and they're in their pain body. They're dumping. You want to walk away. Instead you shift to a parallel universe and they stop and they look at you and go, I don't need to do that. What just happened? (laughs) 
so I, I taught a friend of mine uh, in Europe yep. to do this. We, we've yeah. been playing with it for about a week mm -hmm. um, here. We're yep. having all kinds of fun with it. People were jumping all over the place. Yep. <laughs> and so I, I, on, on a Skype call, I taught a friend of mine how to do this. Yeah. And the next morning, her first client of the day came in and was an absolute emotional basket case. Yeah. Just bawling, um, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And she took one look at the client and said, oh, my God, go sit in my comfy office chair and I'm going to make you a cup of cacao because it was a friend of hers. Yeah. You know, it was someone that she knew. Yeah. And and so um, she goes in and she's heating the water and her friend calls out. Come here, come here. And she walks back into her office. And her friend is sitting there lit up and her friend says, it's gone. My entire emotional state is gone and I can't find it anywhere. And, and this is someone who is used to traveling and shamanic journeying and right. consciousness. Right. And she went to try and find it and she couldn't find it. And she says, it's gone. And I'm balanced and centered and I'm radiating in my power and it's, and my emotional state is totally gone. And my friend realized Oh my God, you're sitting in the chair that I learned to shift in last night. Ooh. And you just shifted. And so later that day, she was doing a, or the next day, she was doing a cacao, cacao ceremony. Yeah. And there was a 16 year old girl in yep. the ceremony in the you know average major 16 year old drama with especially her mom yep and they'd done this shift technique a little bit they were talking about it and people were beginning to learn it mm -hmm. and somebody said why don't you get your mom and shift with her Mm. You know, get your mom on another level, on an essence mm. level, energetically, yeah. and the two of you shift together yeah. to where you're out of this fight, this argument. Yeah. And she did that. And she said, oh, yeah, I feel better. She goes home. Uh, she lives at home. Yeah. And she goes home and she walks in the door. And her mom comes right up to her and says, what were you doing? About 6.30, I feel like I had witchcraft done on me. Everything is different. And her mom gives her a great big hug. Oh, my God. Wow. And as, as I said, I've seen um, circus people, acrobats, yoga people yeah. do something they had never been able to do. Right. Right. Quantum. Yep. yep. It's called quantum jumping, parallel reality shifting, yeah. timeline shifting. There's a lot of terms that different yeah. people use yeah. to express it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's covered in our little Art of Ascension video. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and there's even a, um, uh, it's kind of hard to find, but there's a, uh, a Spanish language subtitles version okay. out there. Okay. Uh, I will find it and I'll put both in the show notes because everyone needs to do this. <laughs> it's, it's, it is 
stupid simple. Yeah. And the the idea, I mean, Seth in in the night a channel being from the nineteen yeah. seventies expressed yeah. in the nineteen seventies. He said, everyone who goes to the ball game, to the sporting event, yeah. shifts to the parallel universe where the team they really want to win wins. Mm. So obviously a lot of people really want their team to lose. Yeah. He said, everyone who goes to a job interview and really wants the job gets the job. Yeah. It just takes place in a parallel universe. So if you went to a job interview and you didn't get the job, yeah. you either didn't want it or there was something better coming. Period. No exceptions. That is simply how reality works. Yeah. Reality works on this parallel reality thing. And if you, if there are scientific conferences, um, they just had their second annual one on, ah, uh, that, 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 what's the name of it? Um, the Mandela effect. Mm -hmm. Now they don't really look at the Mandela effect as a parallel reality thing quite so yeah. much, but these are scientists studying a phenomenon Right. where if you look up Mandela effect on uh, the internet, mm -hmm. you'll find people with lists of um, a couple of dozen or more of examples of the Mandela effect. Yeah. And I, I'll just do a couple of, of examples for you. Do you remember in star Wars, Luke, I am your father. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and there is not a single copy of Star Wars that says that. Right. Yes. They all say now, no, I am your father. Yeah. However, there are, uh, there's a Saturday Night Live skit. Yep. And there are interviews with the actors who played Luke and Vader. Yeah where they say those lines because they remember those are the lines they said. Mm -hmm. But we are now in a parallel universe yep. and there's not a single copy. Do you remember mirror, mirror on the wall? Yeah. Not a single copy of Snow White printed or movie on this earth. They all say magic mirror on the wall. I have not heard that one. I did you not know that. We are on a different planet, not metaphorically, literally. That's, have you heard the one about, um, do you remember the Bernstein Bears? Oh, yeah. I have a Bernstein Bears book right here. Well, apparently it's, okay. So when I remember it, it was the Bernstein Bears. Yes. Bernstein. In, in, the, in the German Jewish yeah. spelling of Steen or Stein. Yep. Like Goldstein, Bernstein. Yep. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's how I remember it being spelled. Yep. It is not spelled like that. It is the Berenstain, right? How do you have yes. to? Yes. Yeah, so it's Berenstain. That is, it was the Berenstain Bears. Like, I was like, me and my sister, this is another one of them. So me and my sister, it's this big thing. It's another one. But me and my sister remember it was the Berenstain Bears. But now, like, the actual of it, like, if you look online, is Berenstain. Yes. Like that's, that's which, which is not a German Jewish spelling. Yeah. Right. And that's not how I remember it. Like that. It's just, and that's like, there's like half, there's a lot of people who remember it like that, but. Okay. Well, would you like the backstory to that? Please. <laughs> Me and my sister right. have been talking about it for months. 
The backstory to that is that this was first announced Mm -hmm. by the channeled extraterrestrial called Bashar. Okay. And when it was announced, I was in a Facebook group, Mm -hmm. um, a chat group that discussed things Bashar. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a woman in the group who said, no way. My family is Jewish. Mm-hmm. We have Steens in the family. And it was Steen. And not only that, I have all of those books on my bookshelf in my room at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to call her up and have her go get all those books. And you'll all see. Mm-hmm. And so her mom went up and spread all of her collection of Bernstein Bears books out on the kitchen table yep. and took a picture of them. Yep. And every single one of them was S T A I N. Oh my God. I'm saying. (laughs) No. (laughs) And so the idea is that we have, I mean, how can you prove this? Now, but the idea is we have left ourselves these little cues, Mm -hmm. these little clues. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the Monopoly man? Top hat, cane, and monocle. Yep. There's not a single copy of Monopoly on this planet where the Monopoly man has a monocle. Hmm. But there is a YouTube video where a guy did internet research and he found newspaper articles from the 1950s that talk about the monocled Monopoly man. But even if you get a first edition Monopoly in a collector's, no monocle. There is no monocle on any Monopoly man on this planet ever. But you will find those references to the monocle Monopoly man. And, and so there's several dozen of these, and they're yeah. finding more all the time. Yep. And it originally comes from, it's called the Mandela effect, and that's yep. what you would search for mm-hmm. on the web. Yep. Uh, it's called that because the first scientific study that was done was um, a, a lady that's done a lot of research and kind of started it, did a survey of adults and found that I think it was 27% of the people she interviewed absolutely remember that Nelson Mandela died in prison. Mm-hmm. except that he didn't. Mm-hmm. He got out of prison and went on to be the South African president. Mm-hmm. Now, this one is a little bit iffy yeah. because there was a newspaper mm-hmm. that there, there was another apartheid guy who did die in prison. Yeah. And there was a newspaper that got it wrong mm-hmm. and published that it was Nelson Mandela who died yeah. and then quickly corrected it. Yeah. But so you can say, well, this one, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But there's so many other ones. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Meyer, Fruit Loops are spelled differently. The F in Ford for the automobile has got a squiggle in it. It's different than what people remember it being. Mm -hmm. 
So anyway, there are dozens of these. Yeah. And uh, uh, a search for Mandela effect will find it. Yes. And there is a serious conference among, you know, where people go to a conference and yeah. present papers on their research on the Mandela effect. They've had their second annual one. Wow. This is ser- this is a serious research yeah. topic. Yeah. Is finding these things. Yeah. I would go just because of the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would. I would. <laughs> wow. And uh, and one of our um one of our ceremonial people brought us a copy. And it's stain. I can't. I can't. <laughs> yes. Like no way. There's no way. But but you know, even if you look at the newspaper clippings from the 1970s or uh, 1950s talking about the monocled monopoly man, you, you can't prove it. Yeah. That, that's the way all of these things are. You can't prove any of them because we are literally on a different planet in a different universe. Mm-hmm. But Seth's idea from the 70s is it, people, we all do it all the time. Yeah. But it's so seamless, you don't even notice. Yeah. And what I started doing was, okay, if the average bloke that goes to the ball game does this, yeah. I can do it, and I can learn to do it consciously. Yeah. And I started doing that. Yeah. And I started changing things just like you did. And you will have a different body when you go out running. And of course, that's the uh, proof of the pudding. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Mic drop. (laughs) 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 I'm like, okay, I'm going to go running now. Oh my gosh. Wow. You will feel the difference. Yeah. Because this this is literally, you shifted to a parallel reality. And it's ordinary. And we all do it all the time. Yeah. It is simply how reality works structurally and functionally. Yeah. And so we started doing it with all this inner processing kind of yeah. um, consciousness development work. I mean, you can do all your work. Yeah. But once you're willing to do all your work, you can shift to a parallel universe where you've already done the work and it's fully integrated. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I've, n- Wow. So you can do all this training work on your body. Yeah. Or you can shift to a parallel universe where you've already done the work. That is kind of crazy because I've actually been thinking for humanity and mankind and evolution, especially spiritually and speaking of ascension or expansion, like, okay, so it took me years, years and years to do the inner work and move the things around the pain body and all the stuff we've been talking about. But I've kind of been like, how do we evolve past having to spend, I spent seven years doing it. How do we evolve past spending seven years doing it? Is this that way? We just... Well, the oneness book channeled by Rasha... Okay. refers to this technique as the art of ascension. Ooh, okay. So that's that's what I titled the video. Yep. Now, okay. the oneness book does not discuss how to do it. Mm. Okay. And in fact, the the how to do it, there's a few people out there. 
You can buy uh, Bert Goldman's yeah. $99 training video right off of Amazon. Yeah. Um, but he does the technique differently. Mm -hmm. He shifts to a parallel universe where he connects to his doppelganger, which is German for twin. Yep. And his twin teaches him everything he wants to know, and he brings it back here. And in his 80s, Bert's twin taught him how to paint. And within 10 years, he became a successful gallery-exhibited painter because his twin taught him. Now, the matrix energetic folks, yeah. they don't teach you how to shift. Right. They teach you how to push someone else mm. into a parallel universe. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And then um, you work with people like Joe Dispenza. Yes. Don't even phrase it in terms of a parallel reality. Right. But they do have people um, dropping chronic diseases. Yeah. And anybody that I know, I mean, I, I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen all kinds of things change. I've seen chronic injuries yeah. of sports and circus performers yeah. and we shift them out of the injury Yeah. and they get up and do something. And then we shift them back into the injury mm -hmm. and they're, and they limp Yeah. and we shift them out of it. And they, and they do something that would be impossible on that knee or whatever it is. Yeah. And then we shift them back into it just to show how flexible, how absolutely insane it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now, now you want to get really insane? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Close your eyes. Okay. <laughs> and this time, lean to the right okay. and go back to where you were before the two shifts. Fine. <laughs> oh, it, it like doesn't even want me to go there. <laughs> it's like literally resistance. Now come back as her. Okay. Having lost it all. And, and having done this right away, feel mm -hmm. the difference in your body physically. Yeah. I have like a heaviness that I didn't have that I got rid of and then it came back. Yes. <laughs> Just like this heaviness. Yes. And when you go out to run, you'll see that this isn't just psychological. It isn't metaphorical. Yeah. It's actually physical. Now lean back to the left and you're going to go even farther than those first two jumps. Okay. Go for it. Yay. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So creepy. I'm not even kidding. As I did that, the wall like made a huge noise to my left. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like something was like dun, 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 in the wall. I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. Okay. And now feel it. Feel, feel it in your body. Okay. <laughs> it's like the words that come to mind to dictate it are like bubbles of joy. <laughs> yes. Today's magic is tomorrow's physics. Mm. Ooh. That's uh that's a takeoff. Oh, I forget if that's uh, Isaac As Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke. Um 
you know, today's science fiction is tomorrow's science fact. Mm. Um, so it's kind of take today's magic is tomorrow's physics. Wow. I love this. That. This is magic, mm. but this is absolute straight up physics yeah. of how the universe works. Now you want, yeah. I, I'll give you another example. Yep. A couple of years ago, well, maybe three by now, some Australian quantum physicists mm -hmm. did a classic experiment in quantum physics called the double slit experiment. Yep, I know the but double they, slit. Yeah, but they did it with a particle instead of a wave. Oh. And they got us. They got a result. Oh yeah, yeah. And they said no way. Yeah. And so they changed variables and they did the experiment over and over and they kept getting the same result and they said, no way. So they brought in some other quantum physicists and said, what are we doing wrong? We can't find it. Yeah. And the other quantum physicists played with it and they got the same result and said, no way. The observer effect. And so they said, let's publish mm -hmm. and let the big boys mm -hmm. at Cambridge and MIT yes. chew us up. Mm -hmm. And so they published it as we, we can't find out what's going on here. So would everybody else look at it yep. and we'll advance science in this way. And the big boys looked at it and the big boys said, oh yeah, the conclusion from their experiment mm -hmm. was that a particle of physical matter mm -hmm. chose its past from its future. Mm -hmm. A particle in the now mm -hmm. chose its past from its future. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's a really good, if anyone is listening and is interested in this on YouTube, there is someone called Dr. Quantum and he does a really good video on this. It's a cartoon, but it's really good. <laughs> if anyone's like, what are you guys talking about? Like it's, but yeah, magic, but physics. Yes. Mm. And the quantum physicists are handling it okay and with the equations at the quantum level the elementary particle level and the very small matter level mm -hmm. but they have no idea that you can do the very same thing at the level of consciousness with your entire body and you just did yeah and that it's actually how reality works and not just at the quantum level yeah. or the um, elementary particle level. Yeah. It's how reality, not just consciousness, yeah. but it's how physical reality actually works. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can have fun. Yeah. So drop me a post. Yep. After you take a run. Okay. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, it's sitting here, you know some things. Yeah. But go and find out in your body. Yeah. Oh. And even after you've found out, mm -hmm. after you've shown yourself what, whatever you're showing yourself. Yeah. Do a jump while you're running. Ooh. Okay. Okay. I love that.
Okay. Um, I'm excited because I've been at the same time. I've been training for quite some time and I'm kind of stagnant with my pace. And uh-huh. I feel like it's going to be like, whoosh, like, here you go. Yes. Go, go find out. Okay. And then add an add a note to the podcast yep. of yes. what you actually experienced. Okay. Because this isn't, you know, just okay, I feel different. Well, fine. It's it's um it's uh you know a fig newton of your subconscious imagination, yeah. you know. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's yeah. yeah, it's just a figment of your imagination. It's yeah. a subconscious suggestion or whatever, yeah. but yeah. But so, so go find out how truly physical it is. Okay. And uh, report back. Have fun. Yeah. I will. Okay. Keith, thank you so much for everything. I'm so grateful that you took this time today and for everything, for everything that you do for the cacao and for just coming on and sharing your time and your magic with me. Yay. Thank you so much. (laughs) And and now I'm going off to a birthday party. Oh, how good. How good. (laughs) We'll have so much fun. And thank you so much again for coming on. Beautiful. (laughs) Yay. Guys, so much love. (laughs) Bye. Dream well. You too. (laughs) And that, my friends, is my episode with Keith Wilson. Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I mentioned in the intro, all of the Keys Cacao information will be in the show notes. So the link to the Keys Cacao website so that you can go get your own Keys Cacao as well as the Instagram link. If you would like to purchase your own cacao, which I could not recommend enough, again, you can use my code KC20US20. That will be in the show notes as well. Thank you all for tuning in. As you know, my Instagram handle and my website and the show's Instagram handle will be in the show notes too, so check all of that out. And I can't wait to see what the next 100 episodes have in store for all of us. I will talk to you soon.